Merson has scored it. the legend Paul Merson, John O'Shea and Wes Brown are coming to Dublin. It's an exclusive off-air event. So if you want to be there, get on to offtheball.com forward slash events. Just Eat, the official food delivery partner of the UEFA Champions League. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition, available now. A very good morning to you. Welcome along to OTB AM. We're with you every weekday morning from 7.30 all the way through until 10. It's the Sports Breakfast Show from Off The Ball. Johnny Ward is here. Johnny, good morning to you. How are you, Ger? How are you getting on? Shane Hannan is here. Shane, good morning to you. Ger, Johnny, good morning. How are things? Whoa, coming in hot from the crucible. How are you? Keep well, keep well. Flying, still, still flying. It's, um, it's easy to get up early every morning when you have snooker to look forward to. I was going to give you a snooker background on Skype here, and then I thought better of it. I can change it if you want. Go ahead. Yeah, so I'll give you a couple of a couple. Yeah. We've got we've got the crucible here behind me. I don't know if you can see that. I like that. Yeah. Um, we've got that's yeah. another another crucible version, a bit more distant, possibly. Are these your? Oh, own, we've just got a, your own photographs. Yeah. Well, I just took them off Google late last night, so we've got a snooker table generally. So um, I don't know if you have a favorite option or if you just want the blurred background, but we can stick with this if you like. Uh, the nightlife in in Sheffield obviously not that good. If you're able to get up for us and be bright eyed and bushy tailed at half seven. Yeah, funny. Um, the, the the people in the UK don't like to to drink on weeknights. It turns out, or or Sunday nights. Um, yeah, it's one of those weird ones where the, even on Sunday night we went uh, met up with a couple of Irish lads um, who had just happened to bump over here and went for a couple of pints in a pub called the Grapes, which is a, a nice little Irish homely pub. Um, but then, yeah, by by quarter past half eleven, it's like, yep, yeah, last orders. So quite easy to be uh, bright and bushy tailed, as you say. There you go. A great club in town, Sheffield, if you want to go out and um, dance all night, apparently. Yeah. 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 Shane hasn't found it yet. What about the snooker no. itself? Snooker's flying, Johnny. Um, I mean, the, the draw's kind of opening up on one side for Ronnie O'Sullivan a little bit, with all this, with no disrespect, sorry, intended to, to the other players. He uh, he plays Luca Brussel um, at 10 a.m. this morning in the first quarter final, so it, it looks like it's kind of opening up because if he wins that. Uh, and Luca Brussel has never been this far in the tournament. He plays either Anthony McGill or Xi Wei, the young Chinese twenty-year-old in the semi-finals, and then the other side of the draw, you've got John Higgins, who's playing brilliantly against Mark Selby in a in a in a tight quarter-final. Both players have won four world titles, so it's Ronnie O'Sullivan's to lose. That's what I'm going to say. But uh, we could have a, a real, real uh, exciting final this year, Ronnie against one of the big hitters. What are tickets like, actually? You're talking you're talking fifty pound for a session early early on in the tournament. Uh, so around 60 euro to to get and that could be I mean you could get very very unlucky there was the other morning because Ronnie had finished the session early uh, and got the job done against Hussein Vafai 13-2 it meant people had bought tickets for a Ronnie O'Sullivan session over on table one um, but Ronnie had finished the match early this is the risk you take with snooker so those play, people probably came on Sunday thinking oh we're going to get to see Ronnie O'Sullivan for the first time ever um, and yet <laughs> he had finished the match early so Unfortunately, that was money not well spent. They obviously lift up the divider and you can see the other match, but it's just not the same. Yeah, my mate sent a, a photo on the group. It's like, we have a really, really good view of the table, but like that was the table in front of them. That wasn't actually the table where the snooker was on. So the, the table was like the other end of the room. <laughs> yeah, it's funny the way, the, way, the way it works out. It is it is a really, really good live event. Like someone yesterday was saying to me, yeah, they were, I think they were watching Ali Carter in one of the first rounds. It was their first time over here and they were like, Jesus, I was front row and I could smell Ali Carter's aftershave. And I was thinking, yeah, that's 
that's what snooker is all about. The sights and the smells, and you can you can almost feel the, the the chalk coming off the cube and flying into your face. Not quite, but um, yeah, it's definitely one of those things where you, if you have a closer seat, all the better. So you haven't you haven't seen Ronnie this year yet, have you? No, I did. Sorry, I, ma- I managed to see Ronnie on uh, Saturday. So two or one session against Hussein Vafai, and he was he was brilliant. There were uh, seven frames. Ronnie wins all seven. Like. I I couldn't believe that we got those tickets because it was, it was actually Stephen Healy, shout out to him, he's a male or a Sligo man who, who managed to sort us out. And the, the Ronnie tickets, as you can imagine, are, are gold dust for every round. And uh, even just Rob Walker introducing them to the crowd, there's just a, a different feeling. There was, there's obviously four, four players being introduced for each session. Uh, and Ronnie was the last on that on that day, and I mean, like the, to say the place was electric, uh, and we were we were lucky to be on that side of the of the room as well. And he played brilliantly, which just added to the occasion. It's probably it's up there now with one of my uh, with one of my favourite sporting moments live. Just to see, wow. I've seen I've seen Ronnie play live at exhibitions, um, and and in, both in Drogheda and in Monaghan, but but it's just not the same. The Crucible Theatre, when there's something on the line. Um, and and in, in the year in which he's going for an eighth world title to to beat Stephen Hendry, it's just it was electric, lads. Hussein, like, I, I don't know what. Hussein Vafai is am I am I doing that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hussein uh, Vafai, yeah. I mean, you know, uh, a bit a bit Frank Lampard esque going at uh, Jurgen Klopp. Oh, there you are, giving it the big one with your seven world titles. Um, <laughs> what the hell was he doing? Like it, it was. It's one of the lamest. Stoke the bear, try and punch him in the nose efforts that we've ever seen ever in any sport. Ever, <laughs> it was ridiculous. Like even in the, it's it kind of all started last year when Bafai said Ronnie should retire and leave it to the young players, and uh, you know Ronnie always loves complaining and this and that. And people were like, who, who is this? Who's this Bafai lad? I mean, given out of Ronnie O'Sullivan, the greatest player of all time, and then it just heated up after the after Bafai won his opening round match, and and starts uh, targeting Ronnie O'Sullivan as well and saying he loves excuses. And Ronnie was Ronnie was sick in his, in his opening round match. Uh, he beat a Chinese player called Pang Zhongzhu ten seven, and afterwards he was just like, "You, you don't want to, you don't want to piss me off." Essentially, and, and that's exactly what Fafai did. Even in the second frame of the match, he breaks. I don't know if you've seen this clip, lads, but uh, Ronnie wins the first frame easily enough. It's first to thirteen. The second frame, Fafai has the break, and he just smashes the reds, uh, a la pool table style in your local pub. And uh, you just don't you don't do that against anyone. First of all, it's seen as disrespectful. But Ronnie did it uh, to him. Is the thing he did. Yeah, he did it at the German Masters when when Fafaya was four 0 up and, and Ronnie was probably just thinking, right, get me out of here. But in the crucible, like you know, against against the greatest player of all time, you just don't do it. Ronnie, of course, cleared up. Uh, the reds were left everywhere, and Ronnie just had had one easy red, part of the color, and, and and cleared up and won the frame. So um, it, it didn't bother him at all. Ron, like Ronnie's steely-eyed focus has been something that that I could not believe. People have this idea of Ronnie O'Sullivan as someone who loses the head a little bit, but uh, not anymore. Like he's 47 years of age now, part of that class of 92 with, with Williams and Higgins. And um, to see him up close and how focused he was as a sports person was kind of, it was actually intimidating and scary, even 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 in the crowd. Yeah, because I remember the, the 147, that, um, that ridiculously quick 147. I was in national school. Like I, I might even not have been in... In, in sixth class at that time, like, and the, his longevity is incredible. Like, has he gotten to the stage now where, you know, I know he's spoken a lot about this, but has he gotten to the stage where mentally he does appreciate, like, where he's at and, like, he has to kind of embrace still being at that level and em- embrace still kind of being in love with the game as well? Yeah, I think so. Like, that was that would have been April 1997 when that when that maximum happened. That was the year, actually, Ken Doherty won, won the World Championships. But, but earlier in the tournament, as you say, yeah, five-minute, 20-second maximum break. 
And but the, but the mental side of it for him, like I saw Steve Peters over here as well, who, who does be with him for the tournament. Uh, clearly, still working very heavily with him. But Ronnie, anytime you talk to him, and I've been lucky to interview him a couple of times, he's always referencing individual sports people. He's big into boxing. He's uh, he was a Tyson Fury fan for some time. He, he follows different people. We were actually sitting very close to uh, to Paddy the Baddy the other day as well, who was who was down to watch Ronnie O'Sullivan. Um, he's big into tennis. Uh, I think Federer is one of his all-time heroes. He talks about Tiger Woods all the time, Djokovic as well. Um, so he, he's one of these people who just takes little bits and bobs from from different sports people. Even like the other days, he's he, it's the day of his match, I think, and he's tweeting about the the London Marathon, and he's just sitting up watching watching the run. And, and, and that's what he does when he's over at Sheffield here. He goes for runs, uh, maybe goes into the Peak District a little bit and, and relaxes. Uh, he's not on the drink or anything anymore. He's he's got a barge as well in Sheffield okay. on the on the cana- on the canal, which he he uh, sometimes sleeps on, uses for for just sitting and drinking tea and relaxing, maybe reading a book. So it's not the image of Ronnie O'Sullivan you maybe had back in the nineties, but uh, he's he's a different animal. And, and psychologically speaking, he's uh, he seems to be in a really really good place. All right, Shane, staying with us. It's uh, seven thirty-eight, just turning seven thirty-nine this morning. Here's what's coming up between now and ten o'clock for you. James Tracy's going to join us in studio to preview Leinster Toulouse. At 8 o'clock, Michael Verney's going to talk hurling at 8.25. Tommy is back with the power rankings. Meath outside the top 16, of course. Uh, no need for power rankings today from a Cavan fan, says Shane. Phil Egan's going to join us alongside Kathleen at 9.15 to talk Spurs and also Arsenal. And then we'll play out with uh, Damien Delaney from last night's football show. Uh, Spurs have sacked their um, interim coach. Indeed. Um, well, it wasn't a great weekend, was it? I don't know, are Spurs getting the the battle for sort of fourth or fifth now is becoming quite interesting because Man United are in such a good position if they don't wobble. But I didn't see the game Sunday with Spurs. I don't know what more can you say at this stage. Well, they need a new manager. They do need a new manager. Brian Mason is stepping in. Mm. Good opportunity for Brian Mason won four out of six games the last time he was the interim manager. So if he was to do that again, you know, mm. that would certainly uh, put a cat amongst the pigeons in the race for the top four. Yeah, interesting debates about Harry Kane as well now, what they need to do with Harry Kane, even though he's an amazing player. Is he a bit of an upsetting influence? Um, I don't think he's an upsetting influence. Who's saying that? Yeah. Is anybody saying that, really? Anybody credible saying that? It's kind of like, how much more can you say about Spurs at this stage? Um, I, I did want to ask Shane about Mark Allen. Alright, we'll go back to the snooker though, yeah. Sure. I, <laughs> we'd moved on to the snooker, but that's alright, yeah. Bri- just briefly, so I, I once was in a heads up in a poker tournament with Mark Allen where. Um, What's a heads up? Heads up is like where you're down to the last two players, which was really misleading in terms of my performance because essentially I got to the last three. It was a, it was a strange, it was, a, it was on, on in Killarney. And my boss in the race post at the time, for some reason he couldn't go, and I don't know how 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 we were invited, but like I got on this table with like Paul Carberry, uh, Ruby Walsh, Mark Allen, um, a few rugby players as well. Um, anyway, it was it was it was a bit mad. Was this back before you got into rugby? Uh, I was probably more into rugby when I was like before that. But uh, Shane Shane Byrne went toe to toe on points with Shane Byrne. That was. You're not going to win that, Johnny. No, no, and I didn't. Um, but it got down to the last three. But I, I had like I'd say it about three percent of the chips left, if maybe five. And it was tall tennis person's a heads up between Paul Carberry and Mark Allen. And Mark Allen, like all he did the entire game was he literally bluffed, 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 bluffed. He just kept going all in, all in, all in, and he won anyway. And I, I ended up heads up with him, even though I, I had no chance. But I spoke to him afterwards. It was like you have an interesting style of. Uh, 
playing poker and he goes I'm kind of the same in snooker I just my attention span is terrible and I just can't last out games but apparently he's finally reached uh, his kind of potential and this could be his year well, Jesus, lads, we could have uh, we could have an Irish winner this year, and that story seems to be um, going under the radar. Like he's one of those, he's one of the, the best players to have not won a World Championship. I would say he's up there with the likes of Karen Wilson. Um, what a talent! Jack, uh, he's unbelievable. And, and this year, like he's got uh, Jack Jones in the quarterfinal this morning. And Jack Jones, with all due respect to, to the Welshman, he's never been in this position before. Mark Allen's got to a semi final before, albeit it was years ago. But uh, it could well be um, it could it could be a Ronnie O'Sullivan Mark Allen final. That'd be like, amazing. Draws open up, which would be incredible. Like he's actually lost six stone. Mm. Mark Allen in recent months he's credited Ronnie O'Sullivan as someone who, who he's worked alongside um, to help him achieve that obviously he's had personal trainers and stuff as well uh, in fact one of, the, one of the Irish lads I was with the other morning was like uh, went up to him the, the other day and said Mark you're, you're not half the man you used to be which uh, which Mark took in, in good spirits he's uh, he's unbelievable like he, he uh, he's playing so well he's he's thrashing people he's not just beating people all season it's been it's been threatened Um but but the fact that he's doing it so and he looks so healthy and happy, like he was even on commentary for the BBC the other day. Uh, I was at one of the matches, um, and and to be honest, I was distracted because Alan was in in my in my ear on the earpiece alongside John Virgo on commentary, and lads, Mark Allen is an unbelievable co-commentator in snooker, and um, like he he had so much insight. He's so witty as well. He but he knows when to be humorous. He knows when the players don't want. The audience, for example, in the auditorium, giggling and putting off the players. So he holds the humour off to, to, you know, to, to a moment where there's already been a shot taken, or where maybe there, he's on a century break and and the frame is over uh, for all intents and purposes. So um, he's an unbelievable commentator. He's clearly in a good place on the on the base as well. So uh, look, if he could beat Jack Jones and get past his semi final and maybe meet Ronnie Sullivan in the final, that would be that would be incredible. He's um, He's a talent, and, and this year he's threatening to go all the way. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised to hear that he was a bit of a bluffer on the poker table as well. He's, he, he, uh, ad- he admitted it, but like, can you, you think Paul Carby, like one of the most mercurial sort of geniuses in, in, in any... How do you call it, though, Shane? So, like, is it Rockets to lose, more or less? I'm, I'm going with Ronnie O'Sullivan. Like, the way John Higgins has been playing, uh, <laughs> he's been incredible, although Higgins hasn't won the World Championships since 2011. He's lost the last three... Fi- in fact, he lost three finals in a row in recent years. Um, so he just needs to get over that line again. He's got Mark Selby in a quarterfinal. Um, like Anthony McGill is a player who's who's played really, really well and seems to just only up his game for the Crucible. Um, a lot of people are fans of his, and he'll play Robert uh, or sorry, Cesar Way now in the in the next round. So I'm going Ronnie O'Sullivan, lads. You really are in your happy place, though. That you're just, you're just. I mean, you're you're just happy there, really. Yeah. yeah. Just, Look at the smile. Just buzzing. There you go. Just buzzing. <clears throat> um, uh, Fountain Town Forland says lads the cricketers are doing great 399 for 6 at lunch on day 2 amazing turnaround from last week on the same pitch the endurance to last 2 days in the heat is unreal we could be on for a draw Joseph Manny says hope you mentioned the cricket lads Ireland in a strong position at lunch on day 2 we'll talk about that big moan for Sterling as well I think yeah hit a century this morning we'll talk with uh, Phil a little bit later on he's been watching it out there the, uh, right about a quarter past 9 we'll bring up to date on how that is going as well Um so you both wanted to talk about uh, Gaelic football this morning. You have a bee in your bonnet about James Horne's column. Well, just I mean, it's actually a really good column. And exactly oh, you're backpedalling furiously yeah, already. Well, I back I backpedal to the first line at half time on Sunday. Galway had powered their way to outright favourites for this year's All Ireland. Like what? That's absolutely ridiculous. Like Galway were hot favourites to beat Roscommon. 
give her, I think the handicap was two, but they were ahead of where they were expected to be at half time. Roscommon were poor and their attacking limitations were exposed. Galway were leading against Roscommon. Galway are fourth favourites for the All Ireland. They're nowhere near favourites. Kerry and Dublin are vying for favouritism. Kerry are favourites. So you can't say they were favourites. They were favourites, in my opinion. Favourites are what the bookies say. Hey like, man, in, that's in, just in, like my opinion. Man, um, so they're not favourites. I, I, I'm with James they were Horan. James Horan favourites at halftime. You didn't say that. He's, he's, he's literally writing a column. There's a picture beside him. Probably haven't been favourites for the All Ireland in a long time. He then goes on though to say that their kickout strategy is a bit of a mess. Very interesting reading. Uh, I don't know, Shane Galway. For me, the fact that you know they they got so close last year will have some learnings from it. Coming through the Connor Championship as well, so it's you know fairly easy for them to um, win one game sort of this year, and they're more or less in the in the top seeding. I, I do I don't they're not favourites but I, I do like their chance actually. And I hate all this stuff in GA where people from a certain county who are playing really well and doing really good stuff lean away from the favourite stuff. Like you had Shane Curran the other morning going, Ah, Russ Common, no chance against Galway essentially. You're on with me, Johnny. Um like you're a Galway man. You all had in final last year. The team has probably developed from last year as well. You've got players like John Maher and Robert Finnerty looking brilliant. Once Shane Walsh gets back into it now and properly uh, You'll be even better. Damien Comer looks supreme. Um, might have found the solution to your goalkeeping problems as well. It's probably still a, a bit of an issue, but um, why, don't, why not lean into it? Like if you got to an All Ireland semi final, or sorry, All Ireland final last year. You're into the Connacht final this year. Uh, weren't far off Kerry. It has to be said last season. Yeah, if if Goa played the Dubs right now, I'm not sure who would who would come out on top of that. It probably uh, Dublin's to lose. But you got to lean into this, Johnny. Galway are one of the favourites, if not the favourites, for some people for the All Ireland. Well, they're fourth favourites, and like if you're talking about like the the market is absolutely dominated, but the market isn't always right. It's not always. And the whole point is like the whole point is trying to find some value, and what James Warren is saying, in his opinion. They're but the he, he didn't say that, winners. obviously. But why should be an opinion column? Of course, it's his opinion. Why are Dublin so much shorter than Galway in the betting? That that I don't get. I, I if all we play Dublin tomorrow, I'd fancy Galway. Well, fair enough, but uh, because Dublin are far superior outfits to the team that, that played last year that ran Kerry close in the second are half. They? Yeah, I know they've. I know they've like they've. Conor Callan's fit. I, I know that. Like, did we see that in the league? Paul Mannion. Yeah, and McCaffrey's back. There you go. So, uh, but who are you putting ahead of Gal- of Galway, Johnny? Who are the three teams ahead of them? Uh well, Kerry would be. Yeah, like Kerry are still Kerry still beat Galway with a degree of comfort last year, and there's no evidence they're any worse. Um, but I don't know the gap with Dublin. I'd have shorter. I I, I just don't know with Dublin. I, like in the league, uh, there was a lot of shadow boxing, and we haven't learned much yet. But in theory, if you look at the All Ireland semi final last year, Dublin should win the All Ireland with the players they have back. But I don't know. I think Kerry could improve on last year as well. That's the other thing. Mm. So Kerry are another year down the road of having uh, Paddy Talley's defensive structure embedded. Uh, the young players are more mature. Like we're we're not going to see the full flare-out of their forwards uh, talent, I mm. think, until we get to Crow Park on our Ireland quarter-final weekend. Ditto with Galway. Yeah, maybe, mm. maybe, maybe. We'll see. I, I Like, uh, Galway are being uh, anointed by both Horan and McGuinness as like, oh, this is it now. Is, like, I, they played Roscommon in a game that both teams could afford to lose. Mm. Like, let's, let's wait and see. You know, last year they beat Derry and they beat Armagh. And yeah, you know, uh, and Mayo in Croker. Yeah, they beat Mayo in Croker. They beat Mayo in Castlebar. Right, Jerry's Hill holding hold on to his 1998 Kildare bitterness. You see, when he no, I just I think so. that like we're in danger sometimes of overrating stuff. Like there was an incredible performance from Shane Walsh in the All Ireland final, but nobody really thought that Galway were going to win that game. 
Did they? At any stage, did I'm it really feel like Galway were going to win the game? Half time was a point in it. I think. I think there was a chance for Galway. I don't. I, I. I just feel like yeah. This year it's tough to know which teams want to win their province. But Galway feel like the team. Like Joyce kind of suggested as much that the the, the Connacht Championship still matters to Galway. I, I don't know how much it mattered to Mayo or us coming. I, look, um, I, I. I. I was going to make this point about um, McGinnis's column today. He's talking about the basketball playoffs and how he went to a game one time in Charlotte with the kids and. Um, the guy in the queue behind says don't worry you're not, you're not going to miss anything until the last 10 minutes because it doesn't matter it's a regular season game but the playoffs are on at the moment and every single play matters and he was like oh the Connacht that game between Roscommon and uh, Mayo at the weekend every, everything mattered I'm like it did not it did not matter you can continue to fight the ingovernable sea but provincial championships are dead I see Peter Kahneman out going oh my medals are really important to me fair enough that was a, that was a time when it really mattered it doesn't matter anymore Especially now, now we have a proper round robin. The provincials are—they're how uh, long do they have, Joe? I don't. They could have a—they could have another century. Mm. This is the GEA. We could be stuck <laughs> with them forever. Climate change will take care of that. <laughs> is there? Um, is the Hoover back with you, Shane? This a little bit. There's of, no Hoover. There's no Hoover with me. Uh, no, there's no Hoover here, uh, unless it's coming from 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 you lads. But uh, I guess the weekend means a lot to the likes of. Um, Awfully, for example, who are sort of thrown against me, then you're like, well, and then you look at loud. So, like, it's not like the provincial championships, like, there were always mismatches as well. So, uh, there are some kind of pockets of, like, uh, games. Resistance. Like, resistance. Like, I, I know it's a bit of a joke, and you need teams matched up against teams of, of a similar ilk, but Sligo are in a Connick final, Clare are in a Munster final. Um, Offaly and Loud are quite happy with their lot at the moment, as are obviously our man Monaghan. Clare are currently the second best team in Munster, and so they're there mm-hmm. on merit, yeah. I think you could say. Even think, though their manager thinks the problems the provincial thing is a joke at this yeah, point. Yeah, I, I think for Offaly, for example, like, they played Mead in a game where they had targeted that for ages mm. and that suggests that they're going to be realistic contenders when it gets to the Talton Cup and that's a really important mm. you know, developmental stage for Offaly who hopefully at some point become an established Division 2 team and then become like Monaghan are the model everybody yeah. should be aspiring to be Monaghan and um, you know if, if the organisation and the backroom team is good and the structures are good then there's no reason why you can't be competitive um, at that point then you go deep in either the Talton Cup or you know you cause upsets in the All Ireland series in Sam Maguire. Like, well, how, how do me, how do me the post the Talchin Cup actually this year? Well, they, they, they have to go. They have. They absolutely have to go all out to win it. They'd probably consider themselves a little bit historically above this, but they're not. Yeah, I think that's the point. I don't think anybody. Uh, you are where you are, and if Kildare are in the Talchin Cup, that's because they've fallen into it uh, as a result of not managing the league properly. And so, if Kildare are in the Talchin Cup and don't win it, it's a disaster. You know, like. Mm. Um, it's a do, do you, how do you avoid lads going abroad though how do you avoid lads deciding at this stage this week if you're a mead footballer and you're like well, the, do I really want to cup? well I, look if, if lads go abroad lads go abroad then they weren't that committed to the season in the first place and you've got to question that you know like um, I don't think the the club championship in I don't think the money in America starts until later on anyway right yeah, it's true. I know the Ben McDonald was speaking last week, the Toronto footballer, and he's going to to Boston. I think in June he's he's been over in Australia, so I think it's June maybe when the when the championship over there really heats up. But like you're seeing players like there was news coming out of Monaghan uh, in in the last few days. I don't know if you heard it, lads, as well. But Ryan McInnesby is back, which is. Um, 
to people outside Monaghan, you mightn't appreciate how big of news this is, but it's it's like Monaghan getting one of the key cogs, one of the first names into their starting 15, back into their squad. There's talk that he's even in contention to, to play against Derry. I don't know how true those are, but he's been in Australia. He's been living with Ben McDonald, actually, the drone player I mentioned. Ben is going out with uh, with Ryan's sister, Emer, and they've been living, living in Sydney. Um, Ryan, of course, is a nephew of the of the late Aidan McInespy, who was shot in, in Ochnacloy. And they, I think the plan is to go over and play for the Aidan McInespy club in Boston from June onwards. But but Ryan is clearly coming back into the, the Monaghan setup, um, And that was reported this, this week by Gaelic Life. So um, exciting times for Monaghan, lads. Um, if the league is being presented as a competition to rival the championship that offers more games, etc., maybe the championship should return to knockout and remove the Super 8 and develop the Talton Cup further, says Michael. I mean, just, like, go... Just go whole hog and have the provincial championships at the start of the year. Start on the new bank holiday at the start of February and finish it on Paddy's Day. And that's your uh, provincial championships done. And then take a month off for everybody to go back to the clubs and then just play a league-based championship of four divisions. It's really easy. It's really easy. That's your solution. It's really easy. Mm. It's like it's, re- it's staring us right in the face. And we're like, no, we can't do this obvious thing. It's too obvious. But Jerry, what, does that does that not turn the the provincial championships into the the Mechanic Cup and and the the preseason competitions? But Jerry, what, how, like it, it, there would be no preseason competitions, or keep your keep your preseason competitions if you want, and then they're definitely not the preseason competitions. But it's a competition where everybody fights locally, and there's massive pent up demand for intercounty football, and it's played over six weeks, and it's a festival of football, and everybody goes and they um, have competitions, and at the end of it, there's a trophy. Like, if everybody's like, oh, you've got to keep these trophies, keep the trophies. And if the trophy means that much to you, fight for it. It doesn't matter what time of the year you win it. Like, I, oh, I tradition, it has to be linked. Otherwise, people won't take it, ser- they'll take it as seriously as they want. No, but it, the, this idea of it has to be linked, I, I, it, that, that solution that you suggest would still get rid of the fact that years ago, people enjoyed the provincial championships. We're talking back in the 70s and 80s and 90s. Because if you won your province, you were straight into an All-Ireland semi-final. And that, that was part of the, the lustre. But you're not like, anymore, you know? I know, but but was it like, so, so that no changed, they changed they that do. they changed that like twenty years ago. I know. Anyway, I, uh, Joy said in his interview that the only people saying they don't care about the provinces are making excuses after losing. It's loser talk, Johnny. Loser talk. Yeah, well, uh, in, fair, in fairness, in Connacht, like what would were Roscommon overly bothered? Like if you go back to Leitrim in what was it ninety four? Um, like they had to be Galway, Mayo, and Roscommon that year, as far as I recall, and that was an, that was unbelievable. And like for Leitrim people, that will still bring a tear to their eye thinking of it. But it's just not really possible anymore for teams to compete. So. So I, I think I think just from this weekend it does feel like an absolute nadir though for the provincial system because everyone knows the game is up like at this stage and once they went down the route of the back door they they started tinkering with the knockout format anyway and now we've gotten to a stage where it's just too professional at the top level and the crowds at league games and the intensity at league games in winter um, really good crowds at league games like is is testament to the fact that you know it's up the game is up like and it's a question of when. I don't know. It, 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 like I still really, really enjoy the league and the current league format. Maybe that's because I'm a Monaghan man. But I, I, I do think that there is something in, in keeping the league the way it is, keeping it where it is as well. I, I don't like the current system. So I'm not saying I'm coming here this morning with all the answers. But I, I wouldn't like to see the league changed whatsoever. Like, well, it needs to be incorporated into a championship kind of... Well, that's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. All right, could it not be played in a better, slightly better weather? Would that not be a good a good thing to watch the best teams play each other in good weather? Imagine that. Imagine how radical an idea that is instead of watching teams get pasted. Like, there's a good chance for all the with all the best will in the world that Sligo could put in their best performance ever, and they would still lose the Connacht final by 
eight, nine, ten points. And like that's not actually beneficial to them that much. Now, let's wait and see how they get on in the round robin. And I, I wish them all the best, but it's going to be very difficult for them to step up in class if the draw is unkind to them. And it may well be. They, they may well end up getting Westmeath at home and they may well have a, a victory against Westmeath in the opening round and they could feel good about themselves and everyone will go, oh, this is, the provincials are great because look what they've done. But Sligo could have won the Talton Cup this year. Sligo could have been the ones having a mad homecoming and celebration and a team holiday. But I'm not sure that they're going to get that for... Um, winning one game and then being beaten out the gap by in two other matches and it just doesn't make any sense anyway uh, Sligo's route to the getting into the groups is basically you know to be uh, London and New York uh, why can't the league be run in conjunction with the championship like basically any other sport asks Shifty Lads nail on the head there uh, Derek Flagbanner says classic Johnny this morning who writes this stuff cry laughing emoji not sure which bit it was the, the, probably um the one thing was you, you got to remember like, nothing with Mark Allen sport, sport yeah sports <laughs> sport for much of its most of its history was like um, you know a part time thing Gaelic games a part time thing you played for your club you played for the, the the county in the championship the summer for most counties they were knocked out half of them were knocked out in the first game that's what it was it was magic but now it's it's, it's borderline professional so it just does not exist in this format anymore it, it's completely anachronistic yeah and, and, and you know we have to attention yeah um, they all have to go to work Right, like uh, Sly- like look at Sligo's route to a Connacht final this year. That's that's the anomaly of it. Like who who are you seeing today, Shane? Uh, we've got a bit of Ronnie. We've got a bit of Ronnie and Luca Brassell this morning, and Mark Allen, Jack Jones. So all the players you want to see, lads. So uh, I've been very thankful to, to have seen them over the last couple of days. But it's really heating up now. So Sunday and Monday is the usual the usual final. You're, so it's all coming to a head. Being inner, yeah, you you don't seem to have a media pass. No, he's a bit. He's I have media pass. Well, yeah. Oh, you have media pass. Yeah, 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 uh, so. And you're back tomorrow, just as it gets good. I listen back in studio. I know it's it's unfortunate. You're going to have to listen to me talking about snooker in studio. But listen, worse things have happened. All right, good man, Shane. Thanks a million. Enjoy the rest of the day. Cheers, lads. Uh, coming up, we have a live UEFA Champions League roadshow in partnership with Just Eat on the third of May in the Mansion House in Dublin. We have UEFA Champions League winners John O'Shea and Wes Brown, along with Arsenal and Aston Villa legend Paul Merson. It's sure to be a brilliant night's entertainment. It's an exclusive off-air event. Tickets are limited, so don't delay. Go to offthewall.com forward slash events. We will see you on the night. Just Eat, the official food delivery partner of the UEFA Champions League. After the break, James Tracy in studio. OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition, available now. Right, it's a minute past eight. Uh, the newspapers confirmed this morning James Lowe is out and it looks like Jordan Larmer is going to come straight back in. That's uh, what Leo Cullen has been talking about. James Tracy is with us. Uh, we could talk about last weekend, but really this weekend is all that matters from Leinster's perspective. Um, that's going to be a footnote in history no matter what happens. So unless you have anything you really want to talk about last weekend? Uh, not a lot to talk about in terms of that. I don't know, John. It's, it's, it's a very good lesson for a lot of the younger guys. I think uh, the step up from... Um, from kind of you know whether it be the the club uh, and and A level rugby to playing against like proper seasoned men, it, you know you learn you learn quite a lot. And I think a big lesson for um, for a lot of the young guys is, is when you're playing at the lower level, you can kind of stay within your own head and you can just play what's in front of you. But you kind of have to be a step ahead at the next level. I think that showed time after time when you know your job isn't always done. Um, so I'll give you a small example. There was a, a line-out kind of in around the, the turning point of the game. 
in around, I think it was about 29 minutes. And, you know, Leinster take the ball at the front. Um, but the, um, oh, the, the second row, um, long hair guy, can't think of his name. For Leinster. Norday, is oh, it? No. Uh, um, anyway, flies through the back of the line and, and attacks Nick McCarthy. Uh, and, and, there is an example of, of of not understanding that you know you win the ball at the front. If you're at the back of the line out, your job then transfers from okay, you're not lifting anymore. You got now have to block the guys coming through, just so your nine can pass the ball and you exit in your terms. While lack of experience, you kind of you switch off for a second. An experienced second row flies through on the scrum half. You know they deal with it okay and they they exit, but it's not on their terms. And that yeah. was kind of the story of the day. It was like it's kind of a relief that my tiny part of the job is done you're breathing out you're relaxing yeah, you're taking that mental breather and, and that's it but yeah and to go over there to play like in that kind of I guess probably heat as well against it's a new experience for them it probably there is there is a learning there for them it's like you know maybe it's not as easy as I thought kind of at this stage like and you get a hammer and you like you rethink yeah yeah, yeah. like the South Africans are just very very big abrasive men and They've like they're very clever in how they play as well, you know. Like I, I watched that game back, and they were very tactical and how they attacked the, you know, and took advantage of you know the lack of street smarts. Um, and you know, you only learn those street smarts by unfortunately going through painful days like that. And you learn more from those days than you do from from the wins, unfortunately for uh, for a lot of those guys. The, the press conference, Leo Collins' press conference, is interesting because it's like um, I imagine they're generally fairly low key events and. He's bristling. He's taken umbrage at the suggestion that they they're buying success. What did you make of it? Uh, like the that narrative is mad. Like the mm. the buying success. You know, like all, all of uh, all of the guys who you know who are now well paid have earned that through coming up through the ranks. You know, and yes, there is a lot of central contracts in Leinster, but there wasn't at one point. Like mm. they've earned those contracts. And you know the that whole we bought the success is is a it's a cop out narrative you know for for the the team that Leo's built over a long time and like everyone like is quick to forget like the the state we were in back then you know mm-hmm. and and uh, we were nowhere near winning anything and and we couldn't keep up the narrative was that the French teams were buying success. Mm-hmm. Um, and you had that like amazing Toulon team that uh, Johnny Wilkinson yeah yeah exactly it was like a dream team and you know there was no nothing in sight for any other team that you could possibly compete with these guys so I think it's it's a it's a bit of a cop out in my opinion um, to to kind of come at the success you know and I say success we we, we still haven't won uh, enough European Cups for, for our liking in, in how dominant we've been um, in the last few years and I think that'll be a big uh, driver for for this group um, but again like they won't it's all external noise to them but you know I'm allowed to get pissed off and, and, and say you know it's, it's not fair for the hard work that goes on that they're saying they've bought the success it's also like totally open to the English RFU and the French RFU to have central contracts. They've decided not to do that, and so therefore it's not comparing apples with apples. Like yeah, just, exactly, it's not yeah. the same. Yeah, and, and I think like they've just done a really good job at, at keeping quality players. Um, you know, and, and none of them really like you have the likes of of uh, of James Lowe, who would have been someone who came over. You know, where you know you could somehow spin an argument there, but again, he wasn't. 
you, you wouldn't have foreseen the player he's become. He was all, he was a very talented winger, but he's become you know like a, one of the best wingers in the world. Uh, but again, it's not like he was he was who he is now when he when they when he was brought over uh, by Leinster. It's it, they've built up the the team they have, and and in fairness, I think all the provinces have done quite well with uh, the farm player signings and. Uh, like it's a testament to the job that goes on between the provinces and the IRFU. It's also interesting, just to, we haven't touched on the, the coaching side of this just yet, but um, Ron Nagara was speculating about Goodman perhaps being part of the new New Zealand coaching structure. That would be a bit of a loss, but they've obviously replaced Stuart Lancaster with the you know, uh, titular head coach of South Africa. It kind of shows the standing in world rugby at the moment where you're getting an international head coach, granted who is second in command, it seems like, to, to Razzie. Um, to come, so that's a that's a good sign. Is is he a cultural fit? Is it is it obvious that South African rugby can work at Leinster, or is that something that they think is going to be complementary? Is there any concerns about that from a stylistic perspective? I wouldn't say concerns. I'd say it's definitely going to be new, which is good. Uh, from the point of view of of uh, getting a fresh voice, fresh uh, look on outlook on the game, I think that can only be a good thing. Uh, fairness, like you look at how successful South Africa have been, and they definitely, you know, we've discussed that maybe you know sometimes aren't the prettiest to watch, but oh my God, are they effective? And why not get someone from you know inside that camp who's been leading that, like one of the best parts of their game, uh, you know, to hopefully bring that over to Leinster and strengthen uh, up our defence and make us one of the best defences in the world. You know, we've already a good defence, but it can only be a good thing, uh, in my opinion, but, like, time will tell. Um, and the Goodman thing, like, the I, I don't know enough about the intricacies of attacking play. Um, I know Lancaster would have been involved in a lot of it too, so would that be a significant loss? Would they be looking to replace him with somebody of similar standard if he was to go? Yeah, is that con- is it rumour? No, it's not confirmed. Uh, yeah, Ron Nogar was the one who was talking about it at the weekend, saying, you know, it hasn't been confirmed, but I wouldn't be terribly surprised if he was part of the new New Zealand coaching ticket, and it seems to make sense. Yeah, I suppose. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'd have to, unless it was it was actually legit, and Rogers wasn't, uh, you know, he loves he loves a few mind games. Um but yeah, no, I, I, he, he's a massive. I, I have a lot of respect for him. I got my first cap with, with Goody back in the day, uh, and uh, he, he got it is the week before, and he came full circle. I couldn't believe it had been ten years, and it's amazing. Just again, learning from different environments and what he brought in, and uh, you know, he'd always have he'd have a theme for every week, and it was just a different way of doing it. And, and you know, I talked about to keep you fresh. Uh, yeah, fresh in the mind. Yeah, yeah, fresh in the mind, and I have like a focus for that week, uh, and, and one that really kind of stuck with me. And it's on the point of the that the young guys would have learned about like a pit stop, you know, and how there's 20 people who might only be changing the bolt in a tire, but if they don't do their job, then you, it doesn't work. You know, everyone is affected by that one person not doing their job, um, and it, you know, little things like that, and just. You know, it's, instead of just going through the same, you know, these are the plays, this yeah. is the whatever. It was a different, uh, fresh outlook on it, and he did a different way of doing a lot of things. Um, I think he's been an unbelievable addition. And you know, before he he went away anyway, he would have been a very liked guy. So you're coming from that's a good place to start is, yeah. is to be liked. Not so, necessarily important. It's okay not to be liked, but he, he's an absolute legend, and he's he's very um, right. It's very good way of looking at the game. Uh, like that's not. Um 
that's not just I have a really good idea about attacking shape this week which is going to help us win the game or uh, he has that too that's what I was going to say exactly yeah it's 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 a much more full picture um, which would suggest he's like very important yes I would say anyone in that coaching staff uh, right now is very important uh, just because of the calibre of what you have like you've Robin McBride um you know who's you know he was he was the, coming from the Lions and uh, from Wales. He's an incredible. Again, he was a, diff- a different way of of playing the game and a different way of doing things. Um, like how he, do they make them all fit? All the players, all the all of the different like ideas right, and uh, yeah. you know what I mean. Um, how do they all cohesively? Yeah. Well, they're all in their own in their own lane. You know, like right. yeah, yeah. You've different ways of doing things, but you have your team meeting and then you break up, up into your, your you know you have your forwards you have your backs you know um, and then you have your your attack and your like defence you know so they're all kind of like separate entities you know and, and everyone um, has their own area that they're you know an expert in and they get to take control of that the, obviously the position groups have their conversations about you know the specific elements of the game but at some point when you're talking attack and defence that's a cohesive everybody in the squad has to understand the same thing right Yeah. there's going to be a moment in the game where we're going to go and we're going to attack when the ball in that unstructured environment um, does everybody is everybody in the same conversation for that is that like a a, a group presentation with a powerpoint basically <laughs> well it depends so if you're talking about uh, open field defence it's everyone but if you're talking about set piece like you know we're not going to be talking about how the backs defend off a of scrum but we you know it's it's important for uh, for say me and the back rows uh, to understand the effect of what we're doing has on the on yeah. the backs. So if you can go a specific direction, it gives everybody more or less time. Exactly, yeah. And and then like one thing that I learned in my career was uh, to sit in on you know usually you know, whoever does the the line out defense comes up with the line out defense plan um, has quite a knock on effect. If you don't, if you're not involved in it, because you know, if you could go, you're trying to steal the ball all the time. It puts it on a team you're playing against has has really good attack uh, into the seam that I talked about in between the backs and the thing, and the and the line out. You're snookered if if the, if you've gone chasing the ball up the front, they've won it anyway, and you're now on your own with no one around you, and you're you've like wingers and like scrum, you know, it likes to punt and like flooding into your channel. You're you're screwed. So. You need to make sure that the line out plan is aligned with the team you're playing against and not just this part of the game. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, you figure out, like, the meetings you have to be in and the meetings you're not in because a lot of them, uh, well, not a lot of them, but half of them would be player led and half of them, right. uh, would be, would be coach led. And that's, that's encouraged from the coaches to, to have your own kind of unit meetings. Right. Okay. That is really interesting because it means that everybody then has responsibility and a deeper understanding of what the game plan is. So this week for Toulouse, for example, um, we, you were talking about was it uh, one of the Toulouse players talking about what they've learned Richie Arnold yeah. uh, talking about what um, they've learned from the semi-final last year win the collision strong set piece and just defence but it, obviously that's not going to be enough yeah I, th- I, I thought it interesting and uh, the the difference in in the kind of like the French way of playing rugby versus uh, you know Ireland would think their way through a game as well as all as well as physicality all of the nuts and bolts of a game, but also you know we're, we're trying to evolve every week and we're thinking our way through the game, and I feel maybe you know that's a turning point for them in terms of you know they're like okay well. You know, definition of sanity. Try the same thing over and over again, and, and uh, expect a different result. You know, they, they've had 
um, a few losses against us in the Aviva and they're like you know okay what do we need to do here we're trying the same thing it's not working our you know just backing our talent and our flair yeah what do, what deeper how much deeper do we need to look into this um, so interesting take um, it'll be more interesting to see how they action it you know and, and like um, if you look at line outs you know you, you can't defend everywhere and if you try to defend everywhere you're, you're defending nowhere because you just get pulled around and you win it. and you'll see you'll notice a lot of teams will let the other team win it at the front because if you let them win at the front at least you know you can have a plan yeah so cause you're like we're giving them obviously giving them the front we have a plan but you can also come up with moves of okay we know they're going to give us the front okay what can we do to manipulate that that's where you see the short line exactly yeah and and also you see you know I talked about in the Ireland game where they had them all they got to moving forward and then they cross field kicked because they had everyone sucked in or like if you can get them all moving forward at the front all of a sudden you have the whole pitch to attack against uh, for the backs but you have to commit the forwards by getting them all moving forward so there's ways around everything but it's a game of chess in, in seeing what will they come up with to try pressure Leinster you have all the different kind of match Matchups. Um, it's going to be. It's going to be a great game. Uh, it does have the potential to be a really great game. It does have also the potential for Leinster to lose. Like this is, according to the bookmakers, not really seven point game. Yeah. yeah. Where are the vulnerabilities? Where will Toulouse say, okay, we can actually, can actually hurt them here? Well, I think any great game. That's the, what makes it great is you, both teams can lose. I think, like you know, going in assuming we're going to win would be incredibly dangerous, especially against like the like the players they have, like mm-hmm. some of the best players in the world. So, you know, that's it's not going to be in their heads that oh we might lose this. It's like it's a very we don't play well. We're definitely going to lose this. So, where can they lose? Yeah, you know, look at that French Ireland game uh, in the Aviva, like one of the best games you know, probably of the year probably in a long time and it was just a slugfest and I think like that's what I'd love to see is an absolute slugfest of like two teams all out attack um, you know, and at the same time trying to manipulate each other with their defence in certain ways, going after each other at set piece I don't want to be too general here Scrum, I feel like they will probably try target that. Not that it's a, a weakness, but I feel like they might try target it in in past kind of big French games. It seems to be a way for them to get access. That's very traditional talking, but you know you tend to go back in the big cup games. You tend to go back to sorts. They've you know he said Arnold said about you know been clever and how they defend off line out and an open phase. We'll see if they've come up with a, a plan to deal with Ireland's phase play attack. I would be confident to think that they are oversimplifying how many variations that we we'd be able to play off of the the phase attack but again that's a a subtle bit of confidence that I'd have that, that they're thinking it's a lot simpler than it is. It's so probably more options. To, to people. So um in terms of the variations that we can have off phase attack it means that we can do multiple different things no matter what we see yeah so so when you have a, a forward running to the line and he's a guy either side of him and, and you, you have the, the out half uh, in behind he can he's four op- options there he can carry the ball he can pass it inside to the guy if you if the if the inside defender comes to, to do, do a double hit he'll dump it inside and make a line break if the outside guy comes in he'll give it to the outside forward and if this guy bites in he'll play it at the back to the 10 and then the next four guys in the defence are screwed um, you know, a lot of teams can look at that, and if you, if you don't drill a property and do it for long enough, your only options might be 
carry or play it at the back to the out half and and I fear that uh, not on fear but like if you, if you think that's all that's all that, that, that there is to it um, you know you're you're going to get yourself in a bit of trouble but uh, listen there's, there's plenty of, of variations and options off of off of rooks and um, you know attacking kicks uh, that I think both teams will have and uh, I just hope that the you know the really ta- it's dry days like the really talented guys can yeah. can play and, and, and put on a show Le- Leinster don't want it to be like they don't want it to be unstructured though because if it is DuPont just comes into his own is that no, I, I, I would say, like you want it to be a slugfest. Yeah, you like it's something about like being in a game like that, where it's incredibly good to play. Even though you know you're playing with fire in terms of like the likes of Pont and Tamak and all, but like that's why you were born to play. Yeah, exactly. Game. I said like my fra- favorite weeks uh, when I was playing was prepping for weeks like this because mm. you had to be so mentally switched on because you were playing against such talent as well as all the normal stuff you have to prep for your week of knowing all your roles and all the different bits um, and bloody remembering to catch and to do all the like simple things it, but it's, it's just never switching off for a second with those kind of talented guys because you just they can make something out of absolutely nothing and I think there's a, there's a real satisfaction out of, out of winning those sorts of games you don't want to have it easy and this is someone just coming from like I'm in and out of rugby the other three provinces with Leinster's dominance does everyone in Ireland want Leinster to win this game? No, no. So where would the split be of the Connacht Ulster and Munster fans on this? Well, like I'd be shocked if they wanted Leinster to win. Like mm. so uh, it's more of a, there is actually a rivalry in the sense we need to get up to Leinster's level, and we don't want them to kind of be dominant over the rest of us. I think you'll be doing well to find one person in Limerick or Cork that is going to be shouting for Leinster. Uh, one ever in the history, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and go away like Belfast. I you know I I very very much doubt it, and that's fine. That's like that's how it should. Be, that's how yeah. it should be. Yeah, and like I respect that. Like you're, it's a tribe mentality, and and uh, it, I'm okay with that. You know, like it's it's what makes the competition uh, when you play the derby game so good and the hostile environment and, and what are the four problems in the top seven in the URC is it so like the, the, the if there is a rising tide lifts boats like the standard of Irish rugby is insane at the moment really yeah no it is it's good like, listen as I, uh, I said um, a couple of weeks ago it's probably the one of the best times um, to be an Irish rugby supporter um, you know we're, we're, we're flying it but uh We've 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 won now the the Grand Slam and, and Six Nations uh, amazing, um, but there's there's bigger uh, bigger fish to fry for for the country and, and for for the club guys. This is the pinnacle of their year, so mm. nothing's won yet. And unfortunately, you, uh, you can finish top of the league and you know win every game in the URC and, and uh, until you get to the to the final, it, mm. it doesn't matter really. Speaking of bigger fish to fry, right? Um, with Sexton injured and we're uncertain about when he's, <laughs> he's going to be back or available um, big big opportunity for Ross Byrne just to remind everybody that there's no real debate anymore that he has cemented himself as the heir apparent and um, that's why games like this they, I mean they obviously have meaning in and of themselves but they do have much more greater significance as well yeah, there's a lot of subplots. Uh, but, the, yeah, but I feel like Ross has played in a lot of big games in the last couple of years, and I, I probably they've probably gone under the radar, uh, you know, because you know they were kind of like the first knockout game, or you know, like a uh, like even semi-finals and stuff. But 
I I'm 100% confident that it'll be a, a seamless uh, change for for him to be in there and and no one's saying that he's he's um he's Johnny like he's his own player he's his own attributes um you know Johnny be missed in his own way but I feel like Ross is going to uh, really like is cause a lot of problems uh well he's I'd say yeah like definitely he's definitely got better attributes like his crossfield kicking uh I'd say is 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 better um and, and I'm sure there's there's another couple that are escaping me now but uh he definitely has he's he's a different and like we uh, the last day we we're talking about the different attributes of the different uh, out halves you know you, you've you've Frawley and and he brings something different to Harry and it's it's good to have different flavors mm-hmm. uh out of half because it means you find the right fit for your team, and 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 that's what you go with, and whatever style you want to play. Um, but this this like the last three years, I think Ross Burns really grown into that role as a leader, off the pitch as well as on the pitch. And everybody does that at their own pace, right? Because I remember um, talking to Lancaster at the start of his career at Leinster, and he was talking about how there was a big piece of work to be done on the young leaders who were coming through, and you know, somebody like Gary Ringrose and even uh, Robbie Henshaw. Like they were quiet, they were they're naturally quiet, but they're not anymore. You know, you can you can hear Ringrose talking, and you can see him having evolved into somebody who would be a natural captain if it was. But three or four years ago, that wasn't the case, right? It just and that's just how this all works. I can only imagine how difficult it is to be seemingly the number two out half, and then your younger brother comes along, and everybody's talking about him, <laughs> and then eventually you get your opportunity, and you're ready for it at this stage. So it's been quite the comeback. Yeah, and I think it's been great for. For Irish rugby, that we've gotten Leinster and Irish rugby, that we've gotten so many. Uh, Leinster now, isn't it? Pardon? Leinster and Irish rugby is the same thing. That depends who you're talking to. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, yeah. So, so I think it's been great for for everyone that that they've gotten the opportunities that they have. Um, it's given time Ross time to mature uh, as a player, as a person, off the field as well, because that matters and. Uh, time in the saddle. Do you know what? And sometimes it's okay to be written off because it lights a fire in you. You know, I've I've proven everyone wrong, and now I'm speaking for him here. But I know I'd be using that as motivation. And was he ever written off, though, or was he just like? I think so. Like, uh, he, like yeah. It, it, Where's he going to go? Where, mm. could, could he end up at Ulster? Like the spec. Yeah. You know, like Harry Byrne was effectively anointed yeah. as the successor. And he's like, well, hang on, I've literally played like two hundred. Yeah, and yeah, it yeah. was it was Joey, then it was Harry, and, and you know, and then it was like, was it, it was Frawley for a brief while, and then you know Crowley. It, it's a, uh, it's it's been a long time of kind of like looking for everyone else but him, and and I'm sure he he, he's using that thing? as as uh, fuel. He's never said it out loud. But yeah, like, but it's probably in his head. Yeah, but like yeah. your competitor. Like. Yeah, you put yourself in issues. What would you be thinking? Mm-hmm. You know, you'd be exactly the same. Your competitor and like. You you got to use that fuel for something good, you know. You go two ways with it; it either beats you up or you use it as fuel. And and like looking at how far he's come now, um, he has to be using that as fuel. What an opportunity! That we yeah, what? A, like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and 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 you know, if you, if you look at the likes of uh, of Joey Carberry now, like that's the sort of fuel now he needs to to use. You know, where he, he was in the opposition, but now it's it's all of a sudden it's an opportunity for him now to sh- to prove everyone wrong mm. um, and that's the way you kind of have to look at the setbacks Luke Fitzgerald saying that he might be better focusing as a fullback for the rest of his career have you any thoughts on that or uh, like 
he was a, he was a like an unbelievable fullback when uh, when he I played with him last and and he's moved down to uh, to Monster and and he's been the, the second fiddle um, uh, Irish out half to probably the best of all time and there was never a question about him not being a good enough out half until you know he's a little bit of a uh, an injury run and, and a dip in form so he can play either and that's the like the the benefit for him. Can I just ask you about John McKee? Uh, one of the other reasons I've uh, little sympathy with the oh Leinster getting everything. Like John McKee from Belfast and could easily be playing for Ulster if yeah. they scouted it properly and developed him as a player. They didn't, and now here he is come off the bench. And uh, what level is he at? How close is he to you know? Because it it seems pretty seamless at the moment. But yeah, John's like great character came in, and uh, you know like. It's funny. I was that like a little annoying, uh, eager beaver of coming in, but all he wanted to do was learn. He went, you know, he'd be, you know, we, when you train, I, uh, we'd only ever like we never really do full contact too often. But you know, you're going at about seventy percent, and it'd be whatever. And like when you come in as that young fella, and I was this young yeah, fella for a long time. 90%. You're always going at ninety to hundred <laughs> uh, percent. So you know, he comes in and like, especially you're in your position, you're a little kind of runt, but. <laughs> He, I have so much respect for the work he did off the field to 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 fast track him to where he is now because he's so much further along than than uh, than I, certainly I was at, at his age, but um, than he would be if he didn't put in all the work uh, off the field uh, because he has the on field attributes. You know, he's, he's he's strong, he's aggressive, he's a good game understanding, but uh, he's a he's a student of the game. So, um, so it yeah. sounds like he smashed you a few times in training. You're like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and after training, maybe. yeah, 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 yeah. So. Uh, yeah, one of the, I listened to plenty of them, uh, and and I have to say, uh, back in the day, my, it was myself, Dan Levy, and Tyg Byrne were the annoying ones, and uh, we'd get the head poked off us every uh, every Tuesday. So, and rightly so, looking back, we didn't realise how annoying we were. Until, oh, it's very important, right? <laughs> yeah, keeping everyone sharp. Yeah, totally. You need those characters to train, otherwise, um, training gets stale. Yeah. Uh, sorry, we, we almost have no time for this, but Jack Conan had a really interesting piece at the weekend where. Um, they they found I think it was a cyst was the description of it um, when they were looking for something else in one of his um, imaging that he was having done you know it's a fairly remarkable discovery and his form has improved massively since because he was he was um, tired from it the strain and stress that you guys put your bodies through if you stopped to think about it you'd be pretty concerned about it yeah it's a uh, you know it's rugby is you know it's it's a very uh, you know, it's, it's a it's a violent attritional game, but you know, like like all kind of combat sports, uh, it's just you know, it's, it's it's good to watch the kind of gladiators go to war and and all that side of thing. So it is, it's it's a hard game on your body and on your mind, um, and not easy for him. You know, he would he'd been coming off the highs of of, of that Lions tour. You know, he's a test starter um, and and an unbelievable player, and and it's definitely been. Uh, very hard year mentally for him more than than physically. Now I didn't know that he was running on empty, but you know mentally when when you see someone come and and take your jersey and that's what Kalen did. You know he he took it. He, he it was his form that got it. Um, it's not easy, especially when you know he was he was the main man months before, like not even like a year before. It yeah. was like months before he was you know the best player in the British Irish Isles for that position, 
and and you know it, it's not an easy pill to swallow. But at least he's gotten to the root of of, of what was holding his uh, his energy back, and and he can get back now to to push in for that position. So uh, who who plays in the back row? If Baird is fit this weekend. What what do you expect to happen? Looks like Baird will be fit. Looks like Van der Fleer will be fit. So suddenly they have everybody available. Yeah. I would say they will go with um, Josh, I'd seven obviously, um, Kaelin eight, and um, probably Jack at six, um, with Baird off the bench covering back row and second row. Right. Um, now, I could be wrong on that, but um, that's probably what I do. I think Jack gives you a good liner option. He's bulky, he's good. Uh, he's a really good six. Um and then I think like keep Kalen in, in uh in at number eight. You know, he's he's still in flying form and hopefully um Josh can kinda of pick up where he left off. Um he's only been a short injury, so yeah. Uh, it's pretty straightforward that ankle injury. Like it's it's probably the most common one in rugby and it's like they've done it about fifty times, or not fifty times, about a hundred times. Right. Many French coming over actually for the game. I have no idea. Mm, no idea. Yeah. 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 And and the French French supporters are class, yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah. they always Make bring game proper colour. Amazing this year, I thought it. Yeah, yeah. Love it. James, good stuff. Enjoy the game. Thanks a million. Thanks, James Tracy giving us his thoughts on that right uh, don't miss all the action in Rugby Daily today in your OTB podcast network bringing you everything you need to know about rugby it's all in partnership with Deliveroo Deliveroo has some great bundles and deals so open the app make your choice and watch your rider come to you Deliveroo food we get it now Michael Verney is with us to talk about the hurling at the weekend Michael good morning to you how are you Gentlemen, how are we? Not yeah. only that preview and punches sound today in the jack of so many trades only fools and horses fan snooker fan yeah, I was expecting you to greet me with an uh, alright, Marco. <laughs> Loves the darts. He, yeah, all rounder, really. Ah, uh, yeah. Sure, listen, you have to have many calls in the fire, don't you? Here we go. Uh, is it 20 to 1, Willie Mullins, for, for winning more than 12, or is it more than 16? God. Great group ones this week. There's a headline in one of the papers today. Yeah. It's, Un- it's, unparalleled, unprecedented levels of uh, domination, even by his standards. Yeah, it's outrageous. I think it was 33 to 1 from to win the 12 grade ones this week. He probably won't, but he probably won't be a million miles off. He'd probably hit double figures anyway. Uh, it's a mad week. He'd 19 winners, I think, two years ago. He'd probably hit 15 or 16 this week. It's, it's, it's nuts, really. It's down to 20 to 1. That's according to okay. the are you, are you there this week, Michael? I am indeed, John. It's, 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 not, it's not the worst your job, the sports journalist, to be going from like. High-profile Gaelic games the weekend, and then to punch a sound and back again the following weekend. Could be, could be worse. Good time of the year, in fairness. Well, it's like this. I thought it was getting a short straw. I've been sent to O'Connor Park for the footballers there the other go. day, and and I tell you, I that was one of the that was one of the great days. It was a brilliant day, and it's probably a little, well, a little bit unexpected. And I was um, long live the provincial form. championship. Yeah, well, I tell you something, and it's it's um it's weird because uh, you know. Our semi-final has potential ramifications for Cork and Kildare as well. Mm. So it, I think it's an unintended consequence of the provincial championships now that other people are looking over their shoulders thinking if, you know, X or Y wins here, we could be in the Talchin Cup. So it is definitely, uh, it's definitely made things a bit more interesting. But funnily enough, it's nearly the early stages that make it more interesting. The finals probably won't be as uh, maybe worthwhile or as meaningful as some of the earlier games. Uh, on that point, right, um, this is the time of the year where we get to have these conversations about the tune-up that is the Leinster Hurling Championship for particularly for Kilkenny and potentially Galway this year. Uh, let's wait and see how, how Dublin recover from the draw up in Belfast. Uh, meanwhile, 
uh, the bear pit that is the Munster Hurling Championship is going to eradicate two of the best teams in the country from All-Ireland contention. It does feel as if maybe we could revisit this a little bit. Yeah, well, if you were picking a top seven in the country, five of them are definitely going to be from Munster, realistically, and Kilkenny and Galway are going to be thrown in in, you know, whatever order you want. It could be second or third. It could be third and fourth. It could be fourth and fifth or whatever. But Munster are definitely going to have five of those top seven. And, you know, it's a situation where Kilkenny can ease TJ Reid back into action. I know they're playing Galway this weekend and he won't be eased in this weekend. But, uh, you know, you can nearly... There's games in Leinster where you can afford to give guys game time. You do not get that luxury in Munster at all as you say it's a bear pit a shark tank you're going in if you are if you lost last weekend you're under serious pressure going in this weekend and uh, it's a bit skewed the only thing is about the provincials in, in hurling and football the Munster hurling title still has so much standing like so much standing and the, the, the final last year would tell you exactly what it meant to the two teams involved it's still huge to win Munster it's still big to win Leinster but not as big as Munster so until until that's you know somewhat degraded, I, I I'm not sure when that change is going to come because it is a massive like the Munster teams would see win a Munster as the second biggest thing that we can do this year. I I, I look I I I buy that right and I, down to the point where if if Clare had won last year, uh, Brian Lowen his job would be safe for another five years after that. But uh, there is a bit where at some point somebody in Munster is going to re- realize that like they. You know, some team is going to go out having maybe drawn two matches, won one, and still you you're not in the All Ireland series. Death where like. whereas you know, um, in this year, for example, it could be a mediocre Dublin or a mediocre Wexford team, given their injuries. And uh, caveat that with the injuries that they have, and it's obviously an evolutionary uh, Dublin team are going to be in an All Ireland series, and that's just not fair. Yeah, uh, listen, I don't know when it's going to happen, but realistically, it's putting 10 or 11 teams together. Well, probably going to have an even number, splitting them into two groups that are equally as cutthroat as the other and two to three come out or it's a a Champions League format style. That's what's going to happen probably eventually. Don't see it happening in the next couple of years, but it is going to happen eventually. There's calls at the moment. When you hear calls for, you know, the fourth in Munster to play the third in Leinster, like that's so messy but that's kind of where we are at the minute just given how but that would be better a wild card weekend I mean they have it in all the well sports. it's all it's all to Mike the, the nonsense of the Leinster Championship like Galway is far more um, you know in terms of uh, location all that is far more in tune with Clare Hurland like Galway playing in Inlis Galway playing in Limerick is just down the road Galway's rivals are basically in, in Kilkenny and Wexford which are essentially miles away so like it is like it is an anachronism as it is anyway yeah, it is a bit mad when you think about Galway travelling to play Wexford as it did last year, or even Wexford travelling to play Galway. Like you're travelling, you know, two thirds of the country to play somebody that's within your own province. Do you know what I mean? It is, it is a bit mad. We also have Antrim in mm. the Antrim make a ridiculous trip down to Wexford Park this weekend. And I know we talked about Wexford and Dublin fighting out for that third spot, but they've kind of they've kind of uh, ruffled a few feathers already last weekend they should have beaten Dublin up in Corrigan Park and they'll half answer their chances going down to Extra Park at the weekend as well that's a that's kind of um, that's lit up Leinster a small bit if they hadn't done that it would probably be predictable enough and you're just waiting for the result of Dublin and Wexford to see who gets third but that has definitely made it more interesting allied to the fact that Lee Chin and, and Damien Reck didn't play last weekend and I was just looking at GA going I was looking at Darry Egan chatting to Chin and he has an AC joint injury in his shoulder and you're just thinking they're four or five down would I bring him in 
or will I make sure that he's 20 or 30% better off next weekend when we have like a, a seriously um, a serious banana skin coming down to Wexford Park yeah I, I, look if, if he's fit it's a complete game changer for them for all sorts of reasons um, in that game against Antrim I, I do want to just ask you about um, the John Kiley anger in the aftermath of the game where he's talking about the bullshit that was spoken about Limerick um, I can I can see his points but uh, but I do also think that that's just the price of being successful. And I suspect that the message that he was given out was as much for his own players as it was for the media and everybody else. Like, it's not going to stop people saying Limerick are still overwhelming short price favourites to be the All-Ireland champions this year. And actually, they probably got exactly what they wanted from the game at the weekend. Oh, Sunday was the perfect scenario, wasn't it? They... They, they they won a game that they should have lost and they've got all the ramifications of losing a big game the stick the Kylie did, or the stick that Kylie has to beat them with now but they didn't actually lose the game the aura is still there Limerick can win playing that badly put, putting up a tally that they hadn't put a, you know, like a paltry tally that they hadn't put up in years with 14 men against a team that are flying and a team that looked to like on that day looked to have them tactically figured out so to me it's the perfect situation for Kylie it was an unusual one we were only chatting on the the throwing pod in the Indo yesterday we were just saying it's not something that Cody would have done Cody wouldn't have made any reference to you know anything that was been said or it wouldn't have even said that any bit of it had seeped into his camp so it was interesting to hear hear that as well but um, just a bit that's probably a bit of frustration because you're trying to um, you're trying to almost cocoon your players and you have people saying that they're going to win six in a row before they've even poked the ball to win four in a row um, and those are just the little elements of complacency that you just do not want to set into your camp. They're, they're, they're disastrous consequences within your camp if they, if they do set in. And I think it's the perfect scenario for them. And as well as that, tactically, as I said, they looked like uh, it looked like Watford figured them out. And Davy Fitz deserves huge credit, um, and he gets his criticism from me included. But he obviously had he had planned that down to the nth degree. And they just couldn't put the ball over the bar with the chances that they had. They should have realistically gotten something out of that game. And Paul Canark is going to be so frustrated with this idea of that somebody hasn't figured out. And now they're going to be thinking, OK, every team we play are going to adopt similar tactics to Watford did on Sunday. What are we going to do to counteract that? And what they do to counteract it is going to be fascinating. I thought Kilkenny had tried to do that in the league final and Limerick had just thought their way around it. Whereas obviously with the step up, from Waterford uh, maybe it's just the fact that it was the Munster Championship I don't know and obviously it wasn't the full Kilkenny side but it, it looked like uh, whatever physicality Kilkenny had brought Waterford had taken it to a slightly higher level which um, maybe they're one of the few teams maybe Galway are also capable of doing that are they? There was a couple of things that they did um, Nicky Quaid has obviously got the ball in his hand 40 to 45 times per game Every time he looked up, Watford had somebody standing in one of the wings, particularly Hegarty's wing. He literally could not poke the ball down that wing. They refused to give Barry Nash any sharp puck out. So uh, it's mad. They deemed Sean Finn the lesser of the playmakers in the full back line. They refused to let Barry Nash get any ball from the sharp puck outs. They almost gave it to Finn and, you know, would take the consequences of whatever he, whatever he did with the ball. I remember at one stage, and Shane Dowden highlighted on the Sunday game, uh, Desi Hutchinson like was just basically tracking Nash's run. He refused, They refused to let him get ahead up a steam. And... Uh, Limerick's a lot of options that they would normally have they didn't have on Sunday Kilkenny tried some things in the league final but it wasn't no it was in a different stratosphere of what Waterford were doing the other day and it's just unfortunate from their respect that they emptied themselves 
and have nothing to show for it and have to get themselves back up for a team that didn't play in the opening when, in opening weekend uh, against when they play Cork this weekend now. So that's going to be a fascinating one. The, the, the minute or minute and a half between the penalty miss and Hegarty sending off, I thought was just amazing. And I was only watching it here. The the intensity of the tackling. And I, I think that's kind of been a little bit lost in the second yellow because tackles were absolutely flying in. The crowd was going wild. like, And the Waterford fans were really, really um, you know, getting behind them. And there's obviously this animosity almost towards Limerick now that Limerick are so good that you want to take them down but that that intensity um I'm, I'm not trying to exonerate Hegarty but like there were there were so many tackles going in at that time and you do wonder now he is a bit of a marked man like in terms of the yellow cars and the reds that he's getting yeah uh, the intensity was something else Johnny yeah it's kill or be killed out there now if you if you stand back you're you're a dead man walking basically um, it's funny Hegarty's first yellow was for Mountain at the referee mm. which I'm sure to be very disappoint, disappointed with because you know if it, if it was another robust tackle or something like that you'd say fair enough he got he got two yellows now the tackle on Conor Gleeson for the second yellow like he like he creamed him that was there, were probably, red, there were nearly two reds in that in 10 seconds there like yeah, that, that was that was borderline. That was if there was something between yellow and red, that that was probably it. And then we had the whole hoo ha with uh, the Waterford mentor coming down and getting involved, which he just like he he made a point. He he moved a fair distance to get involved, which is just there's no place for that. But Limerick hit the next three points after the the sending off. Their ability to react and adapt yeah. mid game is on parallel. And just on this, I don't know if you follow the boxing much, boys, but with the time. Uh, Delahaye nearly beat Mayweather. All the talk was that he had the blueprint to beat him, and it was just—I think it was a split decision points defeat or something like that. So everybody thinks now that that Waterford have showed the blueprint to beat Limerick, and I just think it's That's fascinating. Dangerous. Yeah, very, very dangerous. And if it's a sort of idea where people think, "Oh, we can just copy exactly what Waterford did, and we're going to get the same results," uh, they're going to get a rude awakening come come the next couple of weeks. Uh, speculation in the papers this morning that the Seamus Flanagan incident was dealt with at the time that they thought it was accidental and that he is therefore going to be free to play this weekend yeah I was chatting to Colin Keyes about this yesterday um, Colin is always really good in these scenarios he's as we, you know he's got great contacts and he talks to people about you know what's going on there but apparently that was dealt with or spoken about at the time so it's not something that they didn't see right. so it was spoken about at the time and by all accounts the conversations now mid game are all recorded as well the way he described it was to me it's like the black box on an airplane you know you can go back and hear everything that was said during the game so essentially that seems to be dealt with they it's not something that they missed and can look back be looked back at retro- retrospectively now and by all accounts Declan Hannan who kind of limped off he's going to miss probably their next two games anyway and might be back for the Cork game with a with a groin injury as well like they have great panel depth and squad depth but at the end of the day, they don't have a player like him that can be the quarterback and orchestrate things. So how they uh, react in his absence will be interesting. I, I, the worry for John Kiley might, might be just that it seeps into the narrative now and it seeps into referees' heads that Limerick are playing on the edge. They're also so physically big that if they, say if like, um, like Kyle Hayes just missed times of tackling very, very marginally, he could just leather a fella without even trying. And like if that seeps in, John Kiley doesn't really want to be in games where you're down to 14 men for nearly a second half. Oh God, no, definitely not. And if you look at Hayes, Hayes already has a red um, from the league and as does William O'Donoghue. So if they were to pick up reds again, they'd actually miss two games, um, which would be have disastrous consequences, particularly if it was from the Munster final onwards. Now, this is not a new narrative. It's been, it's probably mm. been out, it's been, it's been out there for a while, but given the size of them, there is a duty of care. But when you're going in tackling someone that's 5'10", like you're 6'5", um, if you, if you meet them, 
what should be shoulder to shoulder for six five and six five is not shoulder to shoulder and you could decapitate them like so there is definitely a duty of care on them there but I don't think this narrative is anything new mm. and generally the last few years it's been said oh Hegarty needs to be careful or he'll get a red uh, come championship the reds in championship have been few and far between to be fair um, I know Hegarty was sent off against Clare last year and he kind of really minded himself thereafter while still being robust enough so I think it'll just help them probably reset a small bit and maybe realise they're probably even more marked men than they thought beforehand. That's why I think it's perfect for them in a way that they completely underperformed. They still get through the game. Like, it kind of looked like they were going to win to me as well, even even at fourteen men. I know, like, Los Angeles had a good goal chance. But other than that, like, they were essentially lead, they were essentially leading the whole game. Like, and they kind of had them at three, four points for nearly the entire second half as well. They had them at arm's length. I thought. Yeah, I think this is their slowest or uh, uh, lowest score and return since the 2019 All Ireland semi final. Like this is very low in comparison to what they're used to. They missed a penalty that Galan would rarely, rarely mm. miss. Galan no missed a goal chance that he would rarely miss. Do you know what I mean? Like it's just um, a, a lot of things happened in this game, and Limerick still won. Yeah, so so Galan should get the penalty. Then there isn't the red card because it was it was, it was a follow on, and then that, that would have been like six or seven points game over. Like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, I, th- I just think there's a lot of things happen in this game that will not happen again. Yeah, and look, I, I, on the other side, I saw several people complaining that it was square ball for the penalty, and so therefore it should have been a free out, and mm. you know, and like they missed freed on the other end. So, I can see if you're making a case for both teams to make the case. It's just that uh, they do need to step up their performance. They have proven in the past that they're able to step up their performance, even within games. So, that's why this week's game is really fascinating. Clare are very much up against it and they've caused their own problems with the goalkeeping issues last week. Yeah, like at the end of the day, um, we've probably all been in games or watched games where you're just thinking you make a couple of mistakes and you're always chasing. You're just always chasing and it, they're always there. That, that was always the difference and you have to feel sorry for, for Eamon Foody because I, I looked at him playing Munster League this year. I looked at him playing League as well. He's a very good keeper. Um, just It was a difficult kind of ball that came in from Jason Ford's sideline and it's just several different things added on to it. Like that, that short puck out that he took and got took the return, probably when you're after making a mistake earlier in the game, you probably just go along. You probably just play safe uh, in that scenario and get your confidence back up. And then there was the puck out to Conlon as well. Uh, I wasn't sure if he was if he was going to be hauled off at half time. So in fairness to Brian Lone, he he stuck with him. Um, but that was the only difference between the two teams, lads. Clare were brilliant at times. It was just those mistakes were always there. There'll be no problem with them trying to get up for playing Limerick in the Gaelic grounds on Saturday evening. I can, I can guarantee you that. Um, that obviously, Canark was with Clare 10 years ago when they won the All-Ireland Angus O'Brien, who's with Limerick now, was with Clare as well. Alan Cunningham is uh, a Clare native too. There's the rivalries um, either side of the Shannon are massive and I, I don't think they'll have any problem getting up for them. And they drew with them three times last year. It took extra time for Limerick to beat them in the Munster final. Um, and I don't think Saturday is um, do or die in a sense for Clare. I think think they can still get through if they beat Waterford and Cork. They can still get through potentially on four points. Now they're not going to think that going into Saturday no. night, and they leave they leave everything out there. But I still think they can get through in third and four points. Yeah, you wouldn't be terribly surprised if this game was a draw again. Um, any any punchdown tips for us, Michael? Before we um, I, I I think I always think punchdown is kind of a tricky one. You're kind of 
gauging some of the Cheltenham runners and how much it's taken out of them, I just tend to, like, how many, Johnny, how many odds on favourites have we today and tomorrow and over the next couple of days? I tend to go for something that goes in a bit fresh. Like, gentleman to me is going against an argument today. Mm. You couldn't, you couldn't see an argument being beaten, but then you have a fresh horse coming in against a horse that, you know, had fair exertions at, um, at Cheltenham, I I like Emmett's horse in the in the novice chase. Actually, Willie has four in it. Uh, Ferran, Fer, what's it, what's the pronunciation? John Ferran, yeah, it's Ferran, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, he's I, actually ran in a bumper. He's ran over hurdles and he's done chases all within the spare, space of four months. Well, which he has to be has to be on hurdles. His first one over hurdles in a Grade Two. His first one over fences was a month later in a senior Grade of Chase. Yeah. My last question for you though, for Jerry rudely interrupted because we haven't even spoken about Galway. Well, we're, um, we're out of time. Out of time. One word. Who is the biggest rival to Limerick this year? Themselves. Oh. That's a good answer. Platonic. Very good. Wow. <laughs> Bring in the philosophy. <laughs> good stuff, Mike. <laughs> Thanks, Jen. That is, that is a good answer. Michael Verney there. Um, Big one word, but it's one word, yeah. Yeah. A uh, couple of quick comments for you. Uh, Michael Cowan says, I feel like the narrative around Wexford's demise is premature. Chin and wreck, massive losses, killed ourselves last weekend with poor podcast strategy. Missed a penalty as well. Off the field at times. Yeah, missed a penalty. I, I, purely on injuries. That's mm. why they are where they are at the moment. Um, but they don't have anything like the depth that other counties have. And that's why um, you would say that they're not in contention until those players all come back and they all have to come back and be at their absolute peak straight away and hit, hit the ground running. Uh, Colin McCarthy says I'm expecting an almighty reaction from Limerick on Saturday at home Clare and a few lads like Lynch and Hayes and Gillan with a point to prove after a quiet game we shall see there is an element of that like the you know the, the, the little wounds that they'll have and what they'll be listening to this week Um yeah, it's probably like that's a great start to championship where you didn't play that well but still won and people are questioning you. You don't really yeah, want to be yeah. steamrolling teams either. No, uh, uh, look, it's either exactly like the dubs where they were able to win games without playing well mm. at the peak or it's the beginning of the end. Yeah, and like, clearly it isn't. That's why, that's yeah. why we want the whole thing to unfold. And Watford offered something different as well. Uh, Shifty Lad, what do you think of the New York Jets and Aaron Rodgers? Yeah, this is big news. Yeah, the just end the season Jets. Um, this has been speculated upon since before the end of last season. Um, the suggestion is that Rodgers is a, is a little, he is a bit beyond his best, but the Jets really, really good defensive unit last season. They, the quarterback um, they brought in, um, he was a very, very top draft pick. Uh, Zach just hasn't really worked out, and they def- they defended him. But the Rodgers thing has been a badly kept secret. Fascinating though. The Jets are Jets fans are going to finally believe. Um, can Aaron Rodgers, the veteran, uh, bring them to the promised land? It's going to be an interesting season. Aaron Rodgers, a big supporter of uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who is uh, running for president on an anti-vax platform. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be an interesting season <laughs> for the Jets. A bit like a man in succession, you're trying to hover around the one percent. Eight fifty-four this morning. It is time for the power rankings. So many critics, these pundits. Generally speaking, I'd be a fan of off the ball. Exactly. And like Tommy knows his football, obviously, listening to football pod the odd time. And I was looking at the power rankings and I thought that Jesus Owen must still be feeling the effects of these mushrooms. But they just dismiss you like, you, you know, you have nothing to do with the bloody occasion. Tommy Rooney, come on down, baby. How morning, are you? Jerry, morning, Johnny. We look like good. We, How are you doing? We look like we've just discovered you there making last minute changes. Who, me? Yeah. No, no, no. Not at all. No last minute changes. Changes were made last night before midnight. When was the last time Meads were not in the championship in, in April 23rd? 
probably the 18th. Well, uh, come on, Johnny. It, 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 it's, a, it's a new sort of system. Look, at me fans have gotten used to being knocked out. Uh, yeah, look, I don't know how long he's going to talk about me. Do we get through the rankings here? Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Number 33. Um, no changes from 33 to 25. Okay, so um, I'll just run through it. 33 London, 32 Water for 31 Carlo, 30 Wexford, 28 Tip, 29 Longford, 27 Leach, from 26 New York, 25 Leash. Leash could be deducted some points for not showing up. There's a there's a typo there. Tip are behind Longford. So, Sorry. Um, I don't know. I don't know where that issue came from. It might be me last night doing it late. And uh, there's a dog with a bone and off the ball, Arthur D, who reckons New York should be lower. But they're the only team on that list that have won a championship game so far this year, so they're staying in 26th. All right. 24th. 24th. Wicklow. Wicklow. Yeah. 23. Uh, we've got a couple of movements. Yeah. Do you go through the movements there quickly? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Antrim and Limerick have both slid back one. Limerick are 22nd, Antrim are 23rd. Sligo moved up two to 21st. Sligo fans have probably complained that they aren't further. They bet New York. They're into a Connick final. I reckon that Sligo could eventually turn themselves into a Division 2 team in a couple of years. Look at the success they're having in under-20 level and minors and schools. On a point of information, should Sligo not be uh, grandfathered into 16 now that we know that they're in Sam Maguire? No. No. They'll eventually... They'll eventually... The the rankings will eventually correct themselves as the summer goes on. We'll see how they get on in the round-robin series... They'll eventually move down. There's only so many changes we can make there. You but they, have to, be, they have to be in the top 16 officially because they're in the top 16 because of the way that the, the system is structured. Sligo aren't getting moved nine places in the power rankings. You're not going to make a mockery of these power rankings. That's not happening this year. Just because, just because the provincial councils want to keep the provinces, it doesn't mean that the sanctity of the power rankings have oh, to be destroyed. Well, I think we should reflect the, the madness of the provincial councils. The absolute well, look at the, fuck madness. We... we we know that's going to happen. We know right, that. Okay, this okay, is okay, 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 okay. It's a Trojan horse. That's what they all are in Rod Robin series. Is it's a Trojan horse. So uh, the provinces will be dead at some stage. Uh, Fermanagh twentieth, down two places. Um, they were poor against Derry. Um, Offaly are up one to nineteenth. Mead are back two to eighteenth. Their slide has continued. And Calvin are down two to seventeenth. Stop! Stop! Fix this now. Fix what? Who just played in the championship? That's not, it's not all about that. It's oh! Like if Offaly beat, beat Loud, if Offaly beat Loud at the weekend, they'll they'll go up two places. Like they'll have beaten a team, like Offaly, better team who are already sixteenth in the power rankings. Like Mead were eight to fifteenth coming into this game. Tommy, it was absolutely ludicrous. Tommy, you you play ludicrous. tennis. You play tennis in the summer in the in the winter. You, I understand that you're a, a, in the winter a, in Cratlow, yeah. a demon tennis player, right? Not at all. Well, uh, you know, a long, a long misspent youth instead of playing snooker, you played tennis. Mm. Fair enough, right? Yes, but is, yes. isn't there a ladder in every tennis club in the country where you play somebody, you challenge them, and if you beat them on the ladder, you take their position on the ladder? Isn't there? This isn't a ladder. This is the power rankings. It's not a ladder. If Mead and Offaly were to meet in the Tatchen Cup in three weeks' time, Offaly would probably beat them again. Yeah, at the minute. Hey! If they met in six weeks' time, maybe Mead will have turned it around. But hey! this is not what it's about. There are teams... But, Jared, like, there are teams in the power rankings who are above others. It's not just about a win at the weekend. Offaly are ahead fans. of Mead in the official and unofficial and everybody's mind in the country because they just beat them and it wasn't even... It wasn't really close. Offaly, at the end, got a little bit like, oh, Jesus, we're about to beat it, Mead. It was, a, it was an alarming result, 100%, for Mead football. But it was coming. Absolutely, it was coming. 
hundred percent. Mead should be behind Offaly. That's these these are now incorrect. Like you can cry you can cry about that all you want. I've Mead in eighteenth place. And they deserve to be in 18th place. You, you, you don't, you don't um, appreciate the sanctity of the betting markets. Like he, Mead were 8 to 15 favourites. If they're played awfully next weekend, they'd still be favourites. I'm not sure they would it anymore. It wouldn't be 8 to 15. Uh, if you, if you, if Mead and Offaly play again and you're telling me Mead are favourites, I'm backing Offaly with you. In a neutral venue, that's fine. We'll, we'll do that. Point and heart again. Look, you, you can die in that horse if you want, but Mead being in 18 position is, I think, a proper reflection of where they're at and where they deserve to be. And it's a long, a long way back from there. And I think it could get worse this year. Um, are the arse with the Talton Cup? It's not even about being arse, Johnny. It's just uh, it's just a mess at the minute. Um, it's just a mess. Like if if Down lose at the weekend um, to Armagh and they're in the Talton Cup, Down are by far and away runaway favourites for the Talton Cup, like one hundred percent. Mead could easily end up in a group with Antrim. And Andy McIntyre in the Tajan Cup. Mm, and mm. it's just the manner of the fact that Mead are just easy to beat at the minute. And I, I, I might get a bit of grief for this, but I genuinely feel sorry for a lot of the players there. And I think the management team maybe are feeling the heat a good bit. Maybe they're a little bit over their heads. Like maybe they underestimated what was going to be like this year. The the look of the league probably corrected itself. Mead should have been relegated. Mm. Like going off the results and the performances, they should have been relegated to Division Three. They are a Talchin Cup quality side at the minute. When you looked at the Leinster Championship at the weekend, Loud and I would say Westmead looked like they were playing senior football. I don't think anyone else, like Kildare pulled away from Wicklow with a couple of minutes to go. I don't think anyone else looked like they were playing senior football apart from the Dubs. The Dubs are playing on another level altogether. Yeah, like the other teams are junior, intermediate, at poor intermediate at best. In Leinster, it's a really sad indictment on where football is in the county. And the provincial councils and people in the counties themselves need to have a look themselves because it's just, look, it won't take a lot for, for me to, to get it right, but I'm not sure it's going to happen this summer. Like, you look at down, down where stock last year, the right man comes in uh, in their defeat in the Thatcher Cup to Cavan last year, down at one Kilku player starting. Niall Kane and goals, Bobo Kane. Wow. At the weekend against Donegal, when they played with purpose and power, and Donegal actually didn't even play that bad, down had six cuckoo players starting and another two on the bench. It doesn't take, and I'm not saying that Mead have cuckoo, and that's probably one of the problems. Mead don't have a cuckoo. Mead club football is a joke. It really is. It's a mess. The senior championship isn't strong. The intermediate championship is probably the most competitive, but I'm not sure how many of them would win a senior if they went up. And there's so many clubs playing junior football. They, they've started to do a couple of things right in Mead, but like, oh, I don't know how much you want to talk about Mead here, lads. Like, you talked about the Monday, you talked about them Tuesday. Uh, we did it on the football pod on Monday even. Like, what is there to say? Mead are bad. Mead have been bad for a long time, but this is just really bad. Yeah, this is the, the low point, and it's like a story county who has absolutely... Sorry, I, let me let me rephrase that. Mead were bad for a long time, but I was down by the fact that Andy McEntee got them to a good place in 2019-2020. They played more teams in Division 1 from August 2019 to the end of the league in 2020 than they had done in the entire in the entirety of the 2010s. More Division 1 teams. It was 10 games against Division 1 opposition. Danny Mac won and the live comment says, me that 18, is this worth doing anymore or should Rooney be replaced? <laughs> What's wrong with him? What does Danny Mac want? He wants him to be down like? about 20th or 24th. Like, this is well, like, well, it's a long summer. There's still, can I just make one point on this, right? I, yeah, I look Jeremy, forward yeah. to, I look forward to the draw being made and I hope they get drawn in a group against Wicklow and I would give Wicklow a 50-50 shot at beating Mead at the moment. Jared, there isn't many teams that I would back this Mead team to beat at the minute. And do you know why? Confidence is utterly shot. 
there is 100% quality in that team. But at the minute, they're not set up to be hard to beat. They just aren't. Okay. And there's not a belief there. And they went out against Offaly and they kicked two points. They were 8-15 to 15 favourites against Offaly and they kicked two points. Mead is not a nice... If you're a Mead footballer at the minute, it's not a nice thing. There is a savage pressure outside and inside. When you say they kicked two points, are you... You mean in the play? first half. On oh, the first half. Right. At all. At all. It, it, they kicked two points in the first half. In the first half. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, let's move on to the next page and we'll try and res- rescue the... Look, at the, the, the power rankings have a couple of anomalies. Westmead had an utter collapse at the weekend and they're in 16th. They've gone up. They had, they had to move. I had to move them up. Why? There's no other way of... Because what am I supposed to do? There's no other way of doing it. I'm not putting Sligo up nine places or down up nine places. Their power rankings would eventually correct themselves. There's very few changes from 14 down. And there has been very few changes over the last couple of weeks because I've been right. Like, <laughs> it's just a mess beneath that. Where are so, Cork? Are, are Cork that much better than me at the moment? <sighs> well, Cork and yeah, me would be a nil-all draw. Cork. No, Cork are Cork are better than me at the minute, but Cork are a mess themselves. They have to have a look, they have to have a look at themselves. They're too easy to be too. But anyways, Westmead are 16th. Um, they're going to have a decent time in the the All Ireland Robin series, but they'll be kicking themselves because they have not capitalised on winning last year. They haven't. Um, they poorly, haven't. they yeah. were in a great position at the weekend in Avon. They should have been hammering loud out the gate. Louder counter attacking side. It does not suit them to to come from behind, and they did. It was an unbelievable win for Loud. So, um, and to be expected given how they played this year, and Loud looked awesome. Downer up four places. The highest mover, I think, the joint highest mover this year, the fifteenth. I am going to say I called it. I'm sure you both listened to the football pod. Mid-January, I told the lads that Down would beat Donegal. Before all that mess happened in Donegal, they laughed at me. They laughed at me. But a bit of a golden carry going on here, yeah. Can I... Down have... I, uh, I, sorry, I, I think, I think oh uh, Donegal have sunk like a stone, though. And I I find it very difficult to see them winning any games. Depending sunk on... like a stone. They have, but they actually performed quite well during the weekend. They actually, like, given the, the state, they're in a similar position to Mead at the minute in the sense that utter disarray um, and they actually perform quite well I think they have a much better management team than me do at the moment I would I would say that I think uh, Aidan Rourke is an excellent manager but anyway. is that the, the general right, synopsis yeah. in with me that like Colin Rourke is over his head uh, I, I think that he has not so far shown the ability to analyse where the game is and build a team capable of uh, playing in the modern game that's the that's the evidence of the league campaign and now the championship campaign, and I, um, it's much more difficult I, being a manager than it is being a pundit. Davy Burke has a twenty strong backroom team. I am not au fait with every single member of me's backroom team, but when a was appointed, it, that's that's actually small, right? That's small. Do you know what I mean? Like like there's Jeez. across the board with everything that's there, but he's got Mark McHugh around him and Jerry McGowan as a football coach, and. McGowan has a lot of experience in county football from Sligo, Clare and now Roscommon. McHugh is very highly regarded in terms of what he's doing. Um, and obviously he's got the, the background in, in Donegal. O'Rourke, when he was appointed, spoke about who he was going to get. I don't know for sure, but I'm not convinced he got everyone he wanted to get. Mm. I think he got some of the people he wanted to get. Bray and Callaghan are two of Mead's most highly regarded coaches in the county at the minute. Garrigan and Ivers come across in the, the ladies' setup. They're important to have. But when I look at the Mead setup from afar and I look at what Mayo have done, what Galway have done, what Kildare have done, in a sense, there's just more of a brain's trust. And there's, you look at Pork Joyce, like Pork Joyce is somebody who's won everything, he's done everything. 
and he's able to lean on people like Keen O'Neill and John Dively and the, like everything the, the manner in which Galway like Pork Joyce left us waiting for 50 minutes outside uh, the Galway dressing room to hide the last day because he wanted to wait until he had had a shower he talked to the lads he'd cooled down and then he was going to talk everything about them are a professional operation by the way Shane Walsh still on the page 40 minutes 45 minutes after the Sign game autographs Right. Signing autographs, you know, and then he was into the dressing room, and I don't know how they squeezed their 40 man strong panel into that dressing room and to hide, because it's not a big dressing room, but by God, they did. So, right. we'll talk about going in a minute, but that that is sort of what we're seeing now. And down, down's backroom team, Laverty, um, Marty Clark, they're doing so well, and they just know what they're doing. And they're playing number 20 final Wednesday, and then they're going into the Armagh game at the weekend. That is going to be a cracker. I, I don't know if Down will beat them this year. I think that I'm not sure they have enough up top, but. It's going to be a cracker. Kildare 14th, they're not moving. Nobody else is moving from 14th to 9th. Kildare, Cork, Loud, Clare, Donegal and Monaghan. I think Loud and Clare are the 12th and 11th best team in the country and they have proven that so far. Uh, uh, yeah, Clare, Donegal would be an interesting game if they get drawn. Definitely, definitely. It depends on where yeah. it was. You'd give Clare a, a good shout in. Uh, where's the? Like, where Do we know where the Clare Kerry game is going to be? Parky Rin is it? Uh, not, not, no, no. It's not going to be Parky Rin. Um, it's a TBC, and I made the case last night that this game should be played in Cusick Park in Ennis. They and wanted it would be that, good. didn't they? Yeah. Well, Clare wanted, but mm. it would also be a good thing for Kerry looking on from the outside. Mm. It's no good for I Kerry and tell and from the Dublin examiner what what no, I couldn't tell what what it, Kerry wanted yesterday. It's more than likely going to be the Gaelic grounds. I tell you what, Jack O'Connor is going to want to win that game no matter what. So he's going to, he doesn't care where it's played. Um, I'm not sure Kerry. Kerry probably squad like 1,500 to the Gaelic grounds, are they? Yeah, yeah. Do you know what? It just, look, it, I'm not sure it's going to make a huge amount of difference either way. Like, Clare and Cusick Park would definitely be more, be more competitive. They'd be competitive anyway. But, you know, Kerry going into that cauldron might put them under a bit more pressure. It was a cakewalk for them at the weekend. They didn't even have to switch it on at all. So, yeah, that, we'll see what happens. Okay, let's keep going. Okay, Arma 8th, Roscommon 7th. Um... Tyrone 6th, Derry 5th. I thought about making a couple of changes here, but I don't think it matters that much. Um, they are where they're at. Mayo have slipped back to 4th. I think they are still 4th, even though they're 3rd seed. I'm just looking at it from in terms of what they can bring to the table and where I think they're going to come from coming into this. Derry, if they beat Monaghan, if they win the Ulster final, will be a 1st seed and they will be facing one of Mayo, Tyrone, um, I can't even remember the seats anymore. I'm confusing myself. I just think that's what they're at at the minute. Yeah, the, will be second. It, it, it's interesting you have um, Galway ahead of Dublin, which I, I was just saying earlier, I, I don't get the, the betting as Dublin way, way shorter than Galway to in the All-Ireland, which I don't really see. Well, well, the bookies don't always get it right, Johnny. Mm. And just from the evidence that I'm looking at, an argument can be made for these one, two, three anyway. I haven't seen anything to change my mind on this. I actually think Galway are the most improved side of any team I've seen. Last year they were, and this year they are again. I spoke what to Tommy at halftime is like this game is over and you were like no nah, it's not over yet and then Roscommon were a point ahead eight minutes later but Galway what I loved was I know it was a fortuitous goal but Galway just very very nonchalantly just ex- exerted control again Galway had the tools to wrestle back momentum we've seen team cr- teams crumble we saw Tyrone crumble even though they played well against Monaghan crumbled when the momentum switched Clare managed to wrestle back momentum on Limerick Westmead failed to do it against Loud Galway have such intelligence across that team and what they've added they haven't just brought in kids right they've brought in a couple of rookies Johnny McGrath is getting a good chance this year uh, Carl Sweeney is, is asserting himself as a young fella but they brought back an all-star Ian Burke 
And you want to hear James O'Donoghue talking about Ian Burke on the football pod this week. That, he's, a, he's just a freak of a footballer. He, James Horne wrote this week, he's nearly the only footballer in the country that you don't that. want to see kick the ball. Yeah. He's so good. And he just knits that team together so well. And it gives Galway so many options. Like, they can start, Finnerty's a shooter. I think and he's a finisher. They can start Finnerty, they can bring him in, they can yeah. put Walsh to 11. They've got the, Peter Cook now, mm. John it, Maher. Sorry, Jer. And Mac Day to come back. Isn't this I'm the. Excited. Isn't this the debate that we had last year about them that actually they didn't have strength and depth? They thought they did, mm. but they didn't. And what they've done over this winter, because the, the previous winter, a lot of players had left and they were like, oh, they're clearing house, they're setting new standards, blah, blah, blah. And then ultimately that proved to be a season too early and it wasn't the right thing to do. And since the start of last year, like they've uh, changed oh, their backroom team, they've added experience in, and strength and depth. And you know, Finnerty might not have been ready to be the main scoring forward if Comer was being marked out of it and Shane Walsh was being marked out of it. But he's certainly a brilliant sub to have to come on uh, for twenty-five, thirty minutes if you need it. And yeah, they, I, I, yeah, I, 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 I see the Go case. The one thing I would say is that I thought that Comer. Um, Comer still has another another gear to get to. If he dinks the f- the finish in the first half, as opposed it's to just a poor finish, he even put it over the bar, like you know, well, yeah. like he got it over the bar. He did eventually, but it was a poor finish. Yeah, he needed a right. He needed to go on his right there. I don't know if a dink works over Conor Carroll, but I would say about Galway's depth. Like, yes, Dublin have depth, and we know that. Okay, yes, Kerry have probably the best footballer in the country and they have depth around them and probably maybe the third best footballer in the country as well maybe fourth in Sean O'Shea but what Galway have are the options to adapt and change as the year goes on they've got they've got decisions to make and they're not bad decisions they have a keeper who can go short a keeper who can go long maybe that's a, a position they need to figure out a little bit more they've got options in defence for man markers they can free up Sean Kelly if Sean Mulcairns gets back from injury and he gets a couple of games in. He's a he's a fullback who can start in Championship football and do a job in anyone in the country. Coming back from injury, that'll free up Sean Kelly to do whatever they want him to do out the field or man mark somebody else or attack or be a different uh, format and attack. They've got options in the middle third with Maher, McDade, Conroy, Cook. They've got options up top. The difference between Burke and Finnerty, right? Finnerty is a finisher. He's not a receiver. Mm. If Finnerty starts... Comer and Walsh's games are different. If Burke starts, it completely changes how Comer and Walsh can play in that game. Yeah, I agree. I, I have slight concern about Conroy's um, general athleticism for later on the championship. But but just briefly, because the examiner piece is brilliant from James Horn, I thought, notwithstanding the fact he made Galway favourites, they appeared clueless on their own kickouts. I thought that was interesting. So I would say Galway have a lot to work on on both kickouts. Joyce was losing the head. I asked him about it after the game. He was losing the head 20 minutes into the game. It after looked he had like- a shower. Yeah, it looked like for anyone watching on to the pitch that Goey had everything going pretty well, but they were completely malfunctioning on the Roscommon kickout. Connor Carroll got every single kickout away. He didn't even get them away to the right or the left. He was getting them down to centre and finding Roscommon people. Goey went along with Bernie Powers' kickouts. It was obviously a decision they made. I think they backed themselves to beat Roscommon in the air, but Roscommon proved against Mayo that they're very, very good on the break and in the air. So Roscommon definitely dominated the kickouts, but Goey were just so much better um, when they had control of the game in attack and defence. Yeah, I they have things to work on. They have things mm. to work on, 100%. Just you want. But, but Dublin, Galway and Kerry have games now where they can work on the odd thing or make a couple of changes. And, like, Jer, I don't know how excited you were about the dubs. Are you very excited about the dubs? For I, me, they've done this every bloody year for the last 12 years. It's Leash, they're Division 4, it's Leinster. 
they're putting the chest out. I need to see it in an All Ireland round robin group. Defensively, it's going to be interesting. I'll tell you what I care about. I care about the strength and depth, and I care about the fact that they've added three potential footballers of the year since last year's All Ireland final. Like you know, Con coming back fully fit. That's a revolution for them. Um, a lot of players who you assumed were guaranteed nailed on starters like Kieran Kilkenny got dropped I think for the league final to be honest but he came yeah. in at the weekend and now they now have a different player at 11 which means that they're not going to be using Kilkenny for transitions alone his job might just be to be in the inside line causing trouble I think if you're adding Jack McCaffrey back into that team uh, and if he's fit enough to be starting and getting game time now by the time the All-Ireland quarter final comes around Jack McCaffrey's going to be Jack McCaffrey again and then you've got Paul Mannion like Dublin are in an unbelievable place. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Yeah, would you, would you have them first? I'd have them. I'd have them. Them. Yeah, yeah. I'd have. I'd have joined first. Them and Kerry. And nah, like, come on. Yeah, would I'd you have, have Dublin first? I'd have. I'd have Dublin first. Yeah, I'd have Dublin first at the moment. Yeah, yeah. and then I'd have Kerry second, I'd, and then I'd still have a, a gap to go away. Go ahead to show it to me in Croke Park against a good team. What are you talking about? We were amazing against Kerry last year. Amazing. Like you have a dodgy free, and we could have like gotten a no <sighs> game. You're never going to win that game. Has Johnny gone full circle in this? Uh, no, I'm I'm very confident Galway have a massive chance this year. Um, and Jerry, it's all about like history is written by the winners. Galway were amazing in that game last year. It was it oh, was they were a great, man great team. performance. They were all man team. Yeah, and, and sorry, Damien Comer didn't really play well at all. Why not? So well, so we, we don't know. That. So maybe team. the two of them will finally play well together. Quote Park. Fonta Madison team couldn't work away to get their best forward. Massive game. belief. A fellow who will like let, leave the media waiting, waiting, waiting. Uh, the but, man that is Porrick Joyce. He learned, that from James Horn. he learned that from James Horne, by the way. My last point on this, the power rankings isn't a predictions model, it's how it's seen at the minute. I think it's good. Uh, power ranking will correct themselves eventually, says Dennis Ryan. Ergo, I'm wrong about these, but we'll get them <laughs> right yet. Yeah, That's don't fair. worry about it, Tommy. Uh, the football pods live and in glorious Technicolor in Killarney. The last few tickets are available. I don't know if they are. It might be sold out, is it? It, it could be sold out. It was very close to being sold out last night. Um, we've got Mark O'Shea as our special guest. What a roll of honour. Five All-Ireland titles, three All-Stars, ten Munsters. I'm not sure they matter. Three league titles, um, Footballer of the Year 2007. James O'Donoghue, when he broke in, had to mark Mark O'Shea in training. Uh, Paddy Andrews come up against him plenty of times. We're going to have loads of great stories in the Great Southern Hotel. Thursday made a fourth. We also have a special interview coming out this week on the Football Pod feed. Episode 15 is out right now. David Clifford joins Paddy Andrews and James O'Donoghue for a chat. Go. Twenty, we got twenty-five minutes with Cliffy, as James calls him throughout. I think Paddy even threw in a Davy at one stage, so it's quite a familial <laughs> chat. Uh, but Clifford gives us some really good stuff, and it's a really interesting chat. It's, it's right. kind of a bit more about how he broke through and how he approaches big games. So that's going to be in the football pod feed later in the week. All thriller, no filler, Tommy. Good stuff. Tommy knows his football obviously listening to football pod the odd time and I was looking at the power rankings and I thought that Jesus own must still be feeling the effects of these mushrooms <laughs> never going to get never ever going to forget about that uh, the football show with Damien Delaney in your podcast feed now on uh, the OTV podcast network also there Porco Hora chatting with Ashley O'Reilly and Monday Night Rugby with Fiona Hayes and Jerry Thornley very briefly though like n- nobody's talking about Mayo like Mayo are just going to creep in there in the background I think they're like Six or seven favourites, something like beat Galway relatively comfortably in the league final. Um, yeah, it turned out the league final didn't matter. Yeah, I, I don't think. I, I think it's it's kind of rewriting history that Galway didn't care that much. I, I think they started the game badly and were beaten by a better team. All right. Um, yeah. After the ads, we have Phil Egan and Kathleen McNamee in studio talking Spurs and Arsenal. It's a North London special. 
OTB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now. It's uh, our North London special. Uh, Kathleen and Phil are here. Before we get into that, though, Phil, the cricket team, somebody was mentioning earlier on uh, that they need to mention, they do need to mention, 466 for six at the moment um, in the second test against Sri Lanka. And uh, Camper has gone on to 103. We had Sterling on 103, but Bernie was out for 95. Sorry, uh, Sterling was out for 103. So um, this is not bad. Yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah, well, you consider how badly... Ireland were beaten in the first test against Sri Lanka and then good opening day yesterday and Paul Sterling actually had to retire yesterday injured such as the heat there but he resumed this morning on 74 got to 103 so he has centuries in all formats now of international cricket it was first test century and as I said in the last few minutes Curtis Camphor's just gone to 103 so yeah it's it's going well and we're on day two so like even just you were thinking about an hour and a half ago if they got to 450 that would be a really good really good start and now you're starting to think can we get to the 500 so uh, this is our first innings we're just going to keep going here it's day two there's no we're not declaring or anything they declared Sri Lanka declared nearly on 600 the last time in In the first first test test. yeah and obviously you know they didn't even have to bat for their second innings because they beat us so comfortably so that's what makes it even more remarkable that we've bounced back right that's a very good sign. It's it's great. I, I I always enjoy coming in early in the morning. There's live sport on your on your TV, and especially when an Ireland cricket team is doing well. Uh, in glorious Technicolor sunshine as well. Right, let's move to uh, Spurs and Arsenal. Kathleen, before we get to uh, Arsenal and whether or not they're going to win the league, the Arsenal team coming back from the two-all draw against Wolfsburg had a minor incident with the plane. Just a minor one. Uh, they were on the tarmac and they were just getting ready to take off and the plane went on fire. And actually, I saw photos of it and actually the wing was properly on fire because a bird flew into it. Right. Um, so as our very own Emma Carroll said, Stupid someone bird. clearly doesn't want Arsenal to do well. Uh, it kind of topped off what was probably the most traumatic week of my life, uh, watching Arsenal from drawing 2-2 with West Ham losing Kim Little, then losing against United in the WSL, then losing Leo Williamson, then drawing with Southampton and then drawing 2-2 at Wolfsburg. I didn't know whether I was going up or down for most of the week. And then this plane incident, I was like, that's just it. I'm retiring now from football. I'm done. That's the first leg of the Champions League semi-final. Yeah, so that was first leg. Uh, Obviously, no one actually really expected them to go out and I think perform in the way that they did. They went 2-0 down and it seemed like, you know, that was it. Katie McCabe was absolutely sensational. She took the captain's armband uh, for it. There's actually a great piece in Ars blog today analysing all the different positions she played in. She played like quite centrally for a lot of the game um, because Arsenal were midfield was a real issue for them and she would come in from the wings quite a lot to support there um, but yeah so the return leg is on Monday in the Emirates quarter to six and they've already sold 45,000 tickets right. so it's going to be wow. an incredible night So Kate McCabe has gone from like being uh, potentially leaving the club to now captaining the team in a Champions League Yeah well in the space of last week like Arsenal lost their captain and vice captain and she's the next person really in the squad that you would expect to step up into that position so I mean Kim Little's out at least until the start of next season and Leo Williamson's done her ACL so it looks like Katie's going to have the captain's armband at Arsenal and Ireland for a while to come Right No harm for uh, from an Ireland perspective uh, uh, no. any, any ramifications for her Irish kind of role with the, with the way she's playing for Arsenal at the moment Sorry, going in centrally in the last 
I don't think so because I think she is required to do a very different thing for Arsenal and what she's required for Ireland. Actually, she's probably in the sense that because there's been so many injuries in the squad, I mean, like five of the top best Arsenal players are all out at the moment with serious long-term injuries. She definitely has had to swap around her roles a lot more, which is probably closer to what she's had to do with Arsenal in terms of supporting players and positions that she doesn't normally have to do at Arsenal because they have the quality of players there. Um, but I think the main worry would be that she is now integral to that Arsenal team. There's four games left in the WSL plus the Champions League. And as we all know, Katie isn't afraid of a tackle. So for me, it would be more just the amount of games, the amount of minutes she's going to have to play over the next couple of weeks. And the fact that Arsenal players have a tendency to get injured. Um, I mean, she was flying into tackles in that Wolfsburg game at the weekend. Yeah, that's a euphemism, right? <laughs> I wish it was. <laughs> she should have been sent off, though, right? Uh, yeah, she should have been. She So, Lena Oberdorf, one of like the great German players, she was player, young player at the Euros last year, uh, tackled one of the Arsenal players and Katie just went straight for her. I like It was a mix between a shove, a chest shove, a hand shove and then also she looked like if she had got a little bit closer to her she would have headbutted her as well. Referee on his shoulder, a yellow card, I thought it probably should have been a red um, but Oberdorf did shake her hand afterwards. She'd be the sort of player herself who wouldn't be uh, too I shy of like throwing in well. a tackle. Game so. game. It's proper sport, it's That's leadership like. though. She saw one of her teammates getting done yeah. and she said right I'm going to and also because you have the captain's armband you only get a booking. Yeah. She didn't have a maybe, she could have got a red. But the only thing with that is that, like, say, so she was missing for the United game because yeah. she'd got five yellow cards and, like, one of those yellow cards was just for time-wasting. So, like, mm-hmm. it's one thing showing the leadership, but, like, they needed her in that game and she wasn't able to play. So I'm all for it, but I'm like, choose your moments. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, like, if she gets sent off and misses, like, the next game or misses the Champions League final, that's do or die for Arsenal but yeah be interesting there's a new episode of Koi Gig out this morning it should be in all your podcast feeds and Emma Byrne was talking a bit about Arsenal's chances because obviously Emma Byrne has won a Champions League so she knows what she's talking about and uh, she was saying that she thinks Arsenal might be able to do it this year so right. well uh, so next Monday Mm -hmm. Bank Holiday Monday it's 5.45 is that what you said kick off yeah it's on days and on YouTube so it's free to watch as well so literally as long as you have YouTube you'll be able to watch it okay let's talk Spurs Uh, Ryan Mason replaces Christian Stellini as interim Spurs boss Um, (laughs) is this one of the worst bad decisions that anybody's ever made ever like we've had Lampard well don't forget Ryan Mason was brought in before the League Cup final against Manchester City when Jose Mourinho was let go and I know things hadn't gone well for Mourinho and Spurs were just sick of him but I, I remember thinking at the time you just hold on to him for this game was there the worry that they'd actually beat City and then they'd have to hold on to him do you think there was a massive bonus for winning a trophy in the contract I suspect there was a massive bonus well I just remember thinking back to that League Cup final you have a better chance of beating City with Mourinho than you do of Ryan Mason. Absolutely. Like, this just goes... Makes to, no like, sense. What they're doing at Spurs in terms of the, the leadership or lack of, it's been an absolute mess. Since Pochettino, obviously, the highs they had under Pochettino of a team that was challenging for the league title and playing really good football, then they didn't give him the backing. Then he leaves... And then they start bringing in short-term fixes. Managers that you wouldn't associate with Spurs because what you look at what Arsenal are doing, they hired a young coach, gave him time, and look what's happened. Whereas that's kind of what you 
you'd think Spurs would do. But as soon as they went down the Mourinho route, and then they brought in Nuno Espirito Santo, who, if anyone had watched Wolves, and also this guy played for Mourinho, and he's not as good as Mourinho. So they replaced Mourinho with a guy that's not as good as him. And then they brought in Conte, who we know, doesn't stay again, is, is short term. But even when he won the league with Chelsea, the first day of the next season, he turned up in a tracksuit because he was that pissed off that he didn't get backed in the summer. And then, you know, he goes and wins the FA Cup that season, but he's gone. So they just there's no good decisions being made at the moment. And you're just thinking that they have to get the next decision right. But Spurs you, won't perform well until they get rid of Daniel Levy. The, I fully yeah. believe that. And I believe it for both the men's and the women's team because the women's is as chaotic as mm. the men's. And it's it's a club issue. It's like the people that Levy brings in and the people that are making the decisions around him and the coaches he wants to bring in are just all wrong for the club. Can I just play devil's advocate in this for a minute, right? Like, in terms of a club that is well-run, um, has a, is on a, a, an even financial key... Great stadium. ...does not require an injection of cash from a despotic, uh, you know, nation-state and has still managed to reach a Champions League final, compete for a league, like, you know... They've they've taken a situation and they've turned the club into something really valuable that is self financing, and as owners go, sure they've made some bad decisions, but like, you know, show me the paradigm of good ownership in the Premier League at the moment. That that would be my counter argument to, um, like. But does I, it depend as well, like, what you're expecting off the pitch or what you're expecting off the club? So like, I think if you ask most Spurs supporters, would you mind if the club was in a bit of debt? Like, not ma- I'm not talking like. Glazers sort of debt where they're like tanking the club and like the ability of the club as a result but if you ask most various supporters would you prefer that stability or would you prefer stability on the pitch what do you think the answer is going to be? Uh, I, I think the um, Glazers have managed to bankroll one of the most expensive wage bills in world football over the last decade and a half and while they've been an easy target for the Manchester United fans ultimately the club is going to get sold to somebody who's going to come in and leave it debt free so I suspect that the Spurs fans would actually prefer that style of ownership because the Glazers have um, you know if they'd got the manager right instead of picking bad managers over the last number of years, they would have been more successful. Spurs should be a very attractive place to go as well for players. It's London, it's a great stadium, um, it's a big, big club if they get the right man in charge. Uh, I remember talking to uh, an Inter Milan fan when Conte got the job, and he was like, oh, Spurs are going to win the league. Conte wins the league everywhere he goes. So, like, on the face of it, he was the best available candidate in world football, and for whatever reason, they fell out. And yeah. they fell out pretty quickly. Yeah, and they and don't forget, they finished last season really strongly, where, mm. you know, they obviously, they pipped Arsenal and they beat Arsenal. I remember they took a point off Liverpool. They put a bit of a dent in Liverpool's title hopes. Yeah. And they were just so hard to beat. And you could see, right, this is exactly what Conte was brought here to do. Kulisewski looked like a good signing. Yeah, and they, they signed a few players in the summer and you thought, right, they're, they're going to build on this. And even you think back to the game at Stamford Bridge earlier in the season with him and Tuchel going head to head and Spurs got a draw on that game where Chelsea were the better team that day but Spurs dug in and you were like right this is Spurs now under Conte but yeah. soon just you know he, he talked like a manager who wanted to be sacked and eventually that's what happened and it just seemed like a bizarre decision to keep Stellini there who was part of it yeah it, that, that didn't make any sense and then sacking him a month later like it was clear he wasn't going to be able to pilot the team to Champions League football and they needed to, to act and find somebody and they, they haven't done that so do we know is, is it Nagelsmann's going to get this gig? Well it seems to me the two names are 
Um, Nagelsmann or Arnie Slot, the Feyenoord manager, okay. who you know, he was talked about being a potential Leeds manager earlier in the season, but. He top of the league of Feyenoord. He's going to win the league with Feyenoord, which is you know, which is only mm. it's be yeah. only their second title in twenty years. And not only that, he obviously got to the final of the Conference League last season. They lost to Roma. They've just been beaten by Roma in the quarterfinals of the Europa League. They were a couple of minutes away from going through until Dybala scored, and then it went to extra time, and, and Roma have gone through. But they play a really good brand of football, exciting brand, and you know he's somebody that. Would and I think Nagelsmann as well. I know, like Bayern Munich are looking pretty foolish now for getting rid of him because Thomas Tuchel's had a bit of a shocker apart from the opening game when they beat Dortmund. But Nagelsmann, I think, would be more suited to Tottenham than he would have been to Chelsea. Okay, I think so. Either of those two are good. Yeah, absolutely. Luis Enrique's name has disappeared off the register for all of these available jobs. The Chelsea job is going to Pochettino, according to the papers today. Yeah, and you just wonder now, like. Could Spurs do something where they thought, right, there's a lot of talk of Pochettino going to Chelsea. Maybe we get rid of Stellini and we say to Maurizio Pochettino, come on back. It doesn't look like they're in, in talks. No. It looks like that's not on the... Um, Him and Danny Levy are still very good friends, though. Right. Like an ex, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was a lot of criticism, wasn't there, in a way, like Spurs previously when they initially got rid of Conte how they conducted like talking to people like Luis Enrique so maybe they've actually started doing the right thing and doing it on the damn low not telling everybody about it yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh look we're having little chats with everybody here's our list like am I on the list am I not on the list uh, not not necessarily the best way to do it so um, the list of stuff that's happened to Spurs since the uh, World Cup Sheffield United beat them in uh, with their second string team yeah uh, Conte had that rant that was eight and a half minutes long after, after the Southampton game when they conceded yeah uh, and Fabio Paratici the Paratici thing is like oh you're going to be the brains of the operation mm. and then he gets banned but they knew about his ban this is mad yeah it is so look that, uh, that's the counter to my the club has been well run over a long period of time they've made a lot of catastrophic decisions recently um, and you'd have to wonder would would slot fix everything in one? Is that like no? I, whoever it is, it's not going to fix it in one go. But that's like it's very hard to do that now. I mean, even as good a job I think as Ten Hag has done this season, there's obviously been results where you think, "Whoa, that's not good." But then you have to you have to take a step back and realize, like it's it's the first season. So one thing, if they were to get Arnie Slot, um, he demands that his teams are very fit, right? And, you know, they can play some really like exhilarating, fast attacking football, especially watching them in the Conference League last season. You know, they would have had Sinistera, who plays for Leeds now. Malassia was there. Senesi, who plays for Bournemouth. Reese Nelson was on loan there. Like, they, like sometimes they, they could score that classic goal where they're defending a set piece and then... 10 seconds later that they have the ball in the back of the net because they break with such pace So, but he, you know he did a good job at Alkmaar got the job at Feyenoord finished third last season and he's going to win the league so that would suggest that he's a very good manager OK last one for uh, for now Arsenal's fixture list is away at Man City Chelsea at home away at Newcastle Brighton at home uh, away at Forest and then Wolves at home that's a pig of a fixture list Really, Kathleen, at this stage. So yeah, no, it's it fairly. isn't. It isn't. You've Ch- Chelsea like are very, very beatable. 
uh, Brighton, Brighton, Brighton and Newcastle would Newcastle. kind of be the two that would stick out. Well, obviously City as well. Forest still fighting the second last game of the season. Yes. Won't be relegated by that stage. I think you have to look at the way they've performed over the last couple of weeks and like unless Arteta is able to pull something out of this team, like I was looking back on how every player has played and especially the last three games. And it just seems like the... Mentally, I don't know if they're there. Like there was one of like Zinchenko crying after Trent Alexander-Arnold got the better of him during the Liverpool game, and I was like, that doesn't strike me as a team that are like you know mentally in the right headspace. The Southampton game, you can argue that like yeah, they did fight their way back into it, but they shouldn't have fought their way have to have fought their way back into it. Um, I, I think that was actually the worst match of the season that I had watched watching Arsenal. It looked like Saka was the main player that was kind of pulling the squad through that mm-hmm. and you don't want your youngest player to be the one that's stepping up. You want your Gabriel Jesus not to be throwing himself around the box and to be actually taking his shots. So, yeah, I think looking at that fixture list, unless Arteta has something magic up his sleeve, the title may be gone. Yeah, like William Saliba. That's, it's, all, it's all fallen apart since he's gone and Rob Holding, the thoughts of him playing against City tomorrow. Now, Kathleen mentioned Saka if Saka couldn't get at City then they have a chance I I wonder with the results the last few games will it actually maybe work in Arsenal's favour where they think right we actually have to have a go here but I still just think Rob Holding I I don't know is there a case that you start Ben White as a centre half but you've no right back then you could be playing someone like Reese Nelson as a right back. They've had an amazing season, regardless of what happens. Absolutely, like, yeah. Their points tally is really, really, really good. Like they have to win this game if they're going to win the they league. Do. Though. They do. They do. I think they even do. if they win tomorrow, they yeah. still won't win the league. Yeah, it, that's that's actually true. Also, yeah. <laughs> okay. Breaking my heart they, here, guys. But, but, but at least I, it's in their own hands. It, yeah. Well, it's just that I think the fixture list is tricky for them. Yeah, and I, but I still think this is, has been a massive success of a season in the sense that no one put Arsenal in this position. They're only ones mm. to have put it up against City. And I, I know they have blown it and I totally accept that. But I actually I have gone past the point of caring at this stage. I'm just happy that finally we have an Arsenal team that is competing in the way they're competing. It's, it's good to feel alive. Time. OCB AM with Gillette Labs. Get the ultimate shave or your money back. Neon Night Edition available now.